Extra Daily Planet Extra. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 17 of Man of Screen Extra. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and on this episode I'm going to begin a feature that's going to run through the rest of the run of the Man of Screen podcast. Kind of. I mean, Man of Screen Extra is still going to be where I drop any other kind of episode that doesn't fit within the realm of the mission of the Man of Screen podcast, but basically what I'm going to do with Man of Screen Extra, I'm going to have kind of a series within the show, so to speak. Basically, as I march through time on the podcast, I mean, if you think about it, I started this podcast way back in the early 40s. Now, here I am uh, going into the 70s very soon. And with the 70s, we're going to get into, especially especially the late 70s, we're going to get into an era where movies I know and love will start to be coming out. I was born in 1980, so there are many movies throughout the 80s, you know, right on up till today, maybe. I guess we'll see as time goes on. Movies that I really love and that I'm going to want to talk about as part of my show. And since I have Man of Screen Extra, I have a place in which to do that. Originally, I was going to, you know, kind of rebrand this as something uh, else, you know, like Man of Screen at the movies or something like that. But, you know, I decided against that because they would come out irregularly. I mean, it's not going to be like a monthly or bi-monthly show. It's going to be irregular whenever I reach the era in which something is covered. I mean, for instance, with the movie I'm going to be covering on this episode, and yes, uh, that's right, you did hear Batman music in the opening. I'm going to be talking about with Bob Fisher, 1966's Batman the Movie, starring Adam West and Burt Ward. You might be thinking that I am beyond 1966 in my coverage. That is very true. However, I didn't hatch this idea until I was past the 1966 filmation episodes, so... Coverage of Batman the movie is going to be a little bit late when compared to where I am on the regular Man of Screen podcast. So, so like I said, Man of Screen Extra is going to be used to, you know, cover the movies that I've become a big fan of uh, throughout, you know, my life. So, with that being said, I first want to move on to some feedback from the last uh, Man of Screen Extra episode. And that feedback is from, of course, Dave McElvenny. Dave was writing in on the last episode in which I did a couple of uh, Christmas commentaries from Batman the Animated Series. Dave writes, Greetings, Mike. Thank you for this marvelous Christmas gift. I love Christmas with the Joker, most especially for the dialogue between Batman and Robin about the movie It's a Wonderful Life. I must point out how fortunate you are to think there has never been a remake of that classic movie. Sadly, I wish I thought that too, but I was around in 1977 when the made-for-TV movie It Happened One Christmas aired on ABC. It was a gender-swapped remake with Marlo Thomas in the Jimmy Stewart part, Wayne Rogers in the Donna Reed part, Orson Welles as Mean Mr. Potter, and Cloris Leachman as the angel Clara Oddbody. Do yourself a favor and never watch this if you have the opportunity. It's not super pop dreadful, but it is extraordinarily bad. <laughs> I like how Dave worded that. Do yourself a favor and never watch it if you have the opportunity. 
it doesn't seem as though I'm going to have the opportunity to never watch this. I'm just never going to watch it. I'm not even going to give myself the opportunity to decide I'm not going to watch it because I'm going to forget about it happened one Christmas as soon as I'm done with editing this episode. Back to Dave. I enjoyed Holiday Nights as well, but possibly a little bit less than Christmas with the Joker because I'm less fond of Batman's costume in this part of the Batman the Animated Adventures than you are. In the vignette with Ivy and Harley, I wonder if Ivy didn't want a cut tree, specifically because of her love for live plants. I know that it's possible to get a live tree complete with root ball at Christmas, but these are generally harder to find, and if she wanted a live tree, Ivy could probably have grown one herself. Hope you and your family have a wonderful Christmas and a happy, healthy 2018, Superman's 80th anniversary year. Live long and prosper, Dave. And so I'd like to uh, thank Dave for his feedback. I really don't have anything to add to what he wrote here, except that I have no plans to ever watch It Happened One Christmas. And then I'm going to talk about my thoughts on the... Uh, and my thoughts are were explained in the uh, last episode, and they're going to be talked about a little bit in the in this episode. How I am partial to not only the black costume of the recent of the '80s movies, but also the black and gray, as I really believe that's what Batman's costume was intended to be—not so much blue. But we'll leave, we'll save that for the episode. I'm going to take a quick break, play a promo, and then we'll, I'm going to come back with Bob Fisher, and we're going to discuss Batman the movie. Hang around, folks. In the Great Hall of the Justice League, there are assembled the world's four greatest heroes, created from the cosmic legends of the universe. Superman. Always a pleasure to be of service to the law. Wonder Woman. Finished. Now let's bring the world back to normal. Batman! Well, Professor Baffles has evidently lost his baffling power. Aquaman! The jet nozzle is buried in the sea bottom! The jet stream is stopped! And those three junior super friends, Wendy, Marvin, and Wonder Dog. Their mission, to fight injustice to write that which is wrong, and to serve all mankind. Join Mike Sumo on the Man of Steam podcast as coverage of Super Friends and its many incarnations begins in March at www.2true3.com. All right, welcome back, folks. Uh, like I mentioned, I have... Uh, we have two Superman podcasters in the house, and we're going to talk about Batman. And to uh, help me out is my my old friend from the George Reeves episode. You might remember Bob Fisher. Hello. Yay. I'm back. You are back. It's, I don't think you've been on the show since the Wonder Woman episode last June. Wow. Has it really been that long? It's been that wow. long. It's amazing. Well, I kind of took over your show during the George Reeves stuff, so... Well, it, it makes the George Reeves stuff better, especially that, oh, that last season. Thanks. That was still fun. I still tell people to go over and listen to those. I think we had a good time doing those, and there's some fun stuff. And, and there's some fun shows. They're worth watching and definitely worth listening to the Man of Screen podcast while you watch those. Yeah, there was no one banging on the door to join me for Filmation episodes. <laughs> oh, really? I wonder why. I just can't imagine why. <laughs> and I didn't see anyone volunteer to help me out with the Brady Kids episode either. <laughs> I actually heard that was I don't remember that watching that episode, but I understand it was a decent episode. That episode is recorded. I haven't dropped it yet. Mm. So the one spoiler I'll give 
Yeah. Is that I enjoyed that far more than I thought I would. All right. All right. We're talking about the animated. Yeah, uh, the animated Brady kids episode Brady. that Superman and Lois Lane appeared on. Yeah. See, I need to watch that. I have not seen that episode. So I need to watch that. And then I will listen to your episode. When I believe I watched it on that same website that we've been talking about. Ah, okay. Good. But that was, you know, I I was dreading watching it. I, was like, I, I thought it would be stupid. And it was. Well, of course. But, but all right. if you take it as parody, then it does a good job. Well, good. <clears throat> and speaking of parody, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. We will be talking about the uh, 1996 Batman. 1996? No, I'm mm. getting confused with Batman and Robin again. And that was 97. The 1966 <laughs> movie, Batman the Movie. Oh, yeah. Which was based on the 1966 Batman series. And this is part of an ongoing feature I'm going to be doing on Man of Screen Extra. I was initially going to make this its own thing, but figure, no, didn't want to. Basically, what I'm going to be doing is I kind of march through time on the regular show. As I get to certain eras, I'm going to talk about certain movies that came out around the same time. Mm, Such, Such as when I get to 1976, you'll, 77 rather. You, you you might hear me talk about a minor movie that came out in May of that year. You know, spaceships, uh, there was a war or something that happened in space. <laughs> you, you might have heard of it. It's, you know, a, a tiny franchise. Yeah, it's got some guy with, with emphysema on it. Just It, it goes to show what's, that smoking is bad for you. Yes. <laughs> so... <laughs> So that's just something I thought I'd do, especially since, uh, you know, there are a lot of movies out there that I've seen that are not Superman related that I really like and want to talk about. And you happen to have a podcast. Yeah. And Dave McElvenny has been bugging me to uh, talk about The Iron Giant. Mm, Excellent movie. So now it is an excellent movie. But so now I have an excuse. Oh, I see. When I get to whenever that, I don't remember when that came out. When I get to that era, Mm -hmm. I will discuss that movie then. Mm -hmm. I saw that in the theater. It was wonderful to see that on the big screen. That was it's an excellent movie. I want to say that came out sometime in the nineties. I think it's late nineties. Late nineties. At which point I, I would have I'd have to look it up. At which yeah. point I would have been a teenager and I was just not having animated movies at that time. Not really right. cool enough for uh, <laughs> right. sixteen to eighteen year old Mike. <clears throat> right. Well, I just didn't care. I never stopped with animation. Kim and I once Kim and I it's one of the things that uh, uh, Kim and I had in common when we first met, we would go to animation festivals and just see, you know, watch weird animation from, you know, that never make it to TV screens and right. stuff. Love that stuff. So, uh, we, we all, we'd go see anything from Disney to some independent guy. And when this came out, uh, this kind of blew me away. This was a really impressive movie, actually, the giant. Right. Well, I'll, and I'll be talking about that when it, yeah. So, Dave, I told you Good. that I would do the Iron Giant at some point. Just way to go, wait, Dave. Just going to have to wait a little while. Yeah, way to go, Probably Dave. a couple of years out. Yeah. So, that's my plan for that going forward. But And I know right now, I just last I just finished the 1960s Filmation cartoon, so this is a little bit late, because I only decided to do this recently. Meanwhile. That's next. <laughs> that, 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 close, takes, that takes us further into the 70s. Yeah, it does. Yeah, I, I've heard the word super groovy far too many times in just the first four <laughs> episodes I've watched. <laughs> so, but we're going to start with 1966 Batman the movie, which I believe came out after the first season, I want to say. Yes, between the first and second season. I was 14 
So I was primed for this stuff. Heavy Batman readers for, by that point, I'd been reading Batman, let's see, 66, 56, 57, 58. So eight or nine years or so. All right. So we have something in common, actually, that's for the number 14. You were 14 years old. I was 14 years away. Ah, <laughs> there you go. So, uh, but yeah, and, and, and uh, I saw uh, I saw this in the theater, and uh, um, you know I think it's it, both of like seeing this in the theater. It was great. It was just really great. We laughing out loud. The audience was having a good time. Audience had a great time. It was it was a lot of fun. You know, there was one theater in town, and I don't know if this went national. It, it almost became a cult thing right away, where people were starting. If you're familiar with like Rocky Horror Picture Show. Mm-hmm. They do a midnight things where people come in costume and they bring all the props and stuff that happen in the movie. Things, you know, water gun for when it rains and they squirt them or, you know, newspapers to cover their heads or whatever is happening in the theater. They would do. That started to happen with this. And people were starting to come in costume and, and, and run around the theater and yell out the lines before they happen. And I am Kitka and all of the, uh, the stuff. So uh, there's a lot of lines in here. There's a lot of one-liners in this thing. And uh, it became a real kind of fun event thing. There were a lot of happenings in the 60s. And this was one of them. <laughs> right. And this movie and the series uh, that, went, that went with it. Very Silver Age Batman. Very definitely. Very definitely. And, you know, I think it's interesting. Now, were the comics still? Yes. Were Silver the Age still at that point? When did... Batman into the Bronze Age and start to go darker again. Well, actually, he stayed pretty much regular Batman until the late 70s. And, and well, I don't know. That's kind of weird because he did get out of his kind of 60s sci-fi thing before Superman did. So, you know, 68 when uh, we're starting to see other artists come in and draw him and make him a little more real. Because there was a backlash after the Batman series went off the air, there was kind of the backlash against that look. And um, I'm trying to think when Jim Aparo started and some of those well, guys. Didn't Batman change in the comics when Julie Schwartz became? Yeah, pretty much. But, but you know, the, th- the interesting thing I think about this is that people will say that this show changed Batman. But if you were reading the Batman comics of the time, this show hit the airwaves in 1966, but this look happened in 1964, 65. He was a good year and a half into this kind of a Batman. If you read those comics, you can almost read them with a, an Adam West, Burt Ward, you know, sounds in your head. Other than he didn't say chum as much, but he did say it. He says it a lot in Super Friends. And exactly. And he did say it in, in the comics. So, you know, the comics didn't copy the TV show. The TV show copied the comics of the day, and they added some of the camera work. But if you look at those comics from 65, particularly with the Carmine Infantino and some of the, quote, new look Batman of Detective Comics, the Batman you see in the 66 TV show was the Batman in the comics. Uh, And then, of course, later there became, after the show went off the air and all, there was this backlash, not Batlash, which was a cowboy in the dc universe but backlash against this kind of campy puzzle solving get out of this trap every issue to you know um, because the comic was just like the tv show you know uh, people were coming up with traps all even the joker was coming up with elaborate bulletproof water tanks how do you get out of that batman 
So it was very much like what was going on in the comics. It well, just even yeah, even some of the later comics still did that. Uh, what was it? The Joker's Five Way Revenge had him in a Shark Tank. Yeah, exactly, so, exactly. That that's always been well, not always, but starting sometime in the fifties through the sixties and into the seventies and all that was you know one of his traits. Maybe some 80s. Uh, a master escape artist, you know, the greatest detective of all time, which they started to get away from. When they left this character, because he was too, quote, campy, they kind of threw the baby out with the bathwater in that if it had anything to do with it. So they even got away from the great detective work uh, and just turned him into that, you know, dark night brooding, let's go beat up thugs in an alley. You know, some of that was fun. Some of it was not. I miss the detective. Those are my favorite Batman stories are when he is. It's a very deep, deep, deep puzzle and a detective story. The last couple of years of the modern Batman uh, with Tom King writing them have been that kind of a bat. It's just been terrific. Um, Well, I'm glad they've gotten away from the Batman that can plan for every uh, possible. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, because he always said, you know, give me enough time and I can beat anybody. Well, duh. You know, give me enough time and I can beat anybody. So but anyway, that's that uh, that is the thing I liked about this time period is that it was totally different. There was nothing like this going on in comics or in the movies or on TV. And. Um, but this is kind of the first Batmania, wasn't it? Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. My generation, we all remember the Batmania around the 89 film. But, mm-hmm. but I mean, this was some, huge. There are some that say the series saved the character. It, it was huge. It did save the character. They were talking about literally canceling Batman at a certain point. I mean, that's hard to imagine today because, you know, Bat keeps DC alive. But there was a time when Batman sales at DC Comics were sliding way, way down. I mean, not even making the top 20 at certain points. And you just think, that's incredible. How could that possibly happen? And uh, I think then Julie Schwartz came in and and, uh, his plate was very full in the Bronze Age because in 1970, he took over Superman too after Mort Weisinger left. You didn't take over the whole... The whole line? I thought he took well, over. He took the editor-in-chief at DC Comics, yeah. yeah. But I don't know what his day-to-day editing jobs were as uh, as that. But he was directing, you know, what was going on at DC. And he, you know, um, yeah, I, I think you could definitely say he, he saved Batman. Uh, some will say he saved I mean, his, Super- we all, his effect on Superman was apparent as well. Yeah, he made obvious changes to Superman as soon as Mort Weisinger left. And... Uh, I say left. I don't, you know, that was, <laughs> I'll bet that I'd love to have been a fly on the wall for that one. Cause, uh, mm-hmm. as much as more Weisinger did, I think they were ready for him to get out of there. But, uh, yeah. yeah. And I know for a fact, well, for a fact, at least from his son, uh, Mort Weisinger wanted to leave as early as 64, 65, but decided to make some changes. And that boosted Superman again and put Superman back on top up until about 69 or 70. And then he left, and that's when they made some more changes. But Superman was going down, up and down, too. But it's comic books, man. So it's hard to tell what's going to happen nowadays. Plus, in the 60s, in the mid-60s, that's when Marvel started to kick it. And right. everybody was starting to jump ship, except a few of us. I stayed with DC. Yeah. This was actually one of my first exposures to live action Batman. Hmm. Um, it was syndicated on one of the local stations, so I'd see an episode here and right. there. I saw this movie before I saw the Tim Burton film. I know that. 
And then after the Tim Burton film, I kind of never watched this again. <laughs> <laughs> until, uh, right. uh, on, uh, until they're recently. kind of you different know, Batmans, aren't they? Yeah. <clears throat> and then you know, I'm ten years old, becoming a teenager, and you know, it's like <clears throat> it wasn't cool anymore. Right. Right. And I was, you know, starting to read a different Batman, so this just seemed far divorced from what what Batman was to me at that time. Right. But you, you just look back, and there's so much. That's iconic about this show. Oh, there's so much good about the show. And, you know, but in my brain, when I think of the Batman TV show, I don't think of this movie right off. The very first thing to come to my mind is that very first episode, the one with the Riddler. To me, that is that shows how good this uh, this show really could have been if they could have kept that up the whole time. I like the show. I, I'm on record. I liked the show. I enjoyed it. Is it my favorite Batman? No, but. I enjoyed the show. There's it's, and I think Robin's costume is the most accurate comic book accurate costume, maybe ever. Well, he's not bare legged. Well, that's true. He's not bare legged, but you really can't tell. It's not, you know, it's okay. <laughs> All right, <laughs> but name another but, one that's as close. Chris no. Reeve was pretty close. Chris Reeve was pretty close. But this bat, this Robin costume looked just like the Robin of the. It did. He didn't have the double curl hair, but that would have been really hard to do. Yeah. Uh, and Burt and, Ward. You know. And I didn't. I know I've watched a bunch of episodes of, of the show. I know it was uh, it was on, on in syndication at, when, I, when I was a kid. Yeah. I don't remember epi- specific episodes. Mm. Like, like I do, like I do remember one episode where the, where Penguin stole the Batmobile, right? Right. And and he painted a penguin on the side. <laughs> right. Yeah. I do remember that, and it's kind of referenced in this movie. I'm not sure if it happened before or after this. Right. But when he steals the when he steals the Batmobile in disguise. Yeah, that was first season. Yeah, that was first season. First season is my favorite season of of the show. Uh, and when it's on, it comes on MeTV at like midnight or something now on Saturday nights. But um, when I when I catch an episode, it's still very sentimental. It's very, not sentimental, nostalgic for me I, when I see it. And there's something about the red phone in the very first episode in the pilot when uh, Commissioner Gordon walks over and takes the, takes the you know, the, the, the case off of the red phone. And I don't know who he is under that mask, but we need him and we need him now. Beep, beep, beep. And I... There is just something about that that I get this, you know, really funny little nostalgia buzz when that happens. And you gotta remember this Commissioner Gordon probably need Batman to help him go to the bathroom. Oh yeah, the, this is these these guys are terrible. This is the worst police force ever anywhere. But for some reason it does seem to work. Because that's usually my complaint about cop shows when they have a, a consultant. It's one of my complaints about Sherlock Holmes sometimes when they're not written by Arthur Conan Doyle. It's somebody else doing a Sherlock Holmes story. They make Sherlock look smarter by making the cop he's working with look dumber. Right. Well, and I don't like that. Make the guy that, you know, I think that's why I like Lucifer so much is that the cops are not stupid. The main character cops that Lucifer's working with are not stupid. You know, and I like that if and I like that about, uh, well, several shows that I watch. I don't want to see dumb cops, right. you know, just to make your hero look better. But anyway, I do like this. The series uh, it has got some very nostalgic stuff for me as a 14 year old when this was on the air. 
a little tip for those of you who, if you don't really know and you want to know, like you just happen to be watching MeTV or some other network or one of these episodes uh, appears on your screen and you just want to know, gee, I wonder what season episode this is. Well, you'll know it's the first season if during the fight scene, the bam, pow, wham, woozy doozy graphic is overlaid. If it's see-through overlay, the word overlaid on top of the action, that's first season. Second and third season with budget cuts, it was more expensive to do an overlay of that. So they just do an insert of Bam Pow Woozy on a solid green or black or blue background. They don't overlay it over top of the live action because it's cheaper and quicker to just do a quick cut insert and let the audio run than to keep the two graphics going in the 60s doing that kind of overlay was very expensive. It don't do that anymore. It's, there's no cost at all. It's all computer. Yeah, there's, no, there's no more Bow Pam and uh, Biff and Zip either. Yeah, yeah. And obviously also, they third didn't, they season. They didn't do any of that stuff in the animated films. No. And in the third season is I when obviously why. Batgirl. And the animated films didn't animate uh, Cesar Romero's mustache. <laughs> that would have been so funny. I would have just, and I think when they the the modern one that they just came out last year with uh, Adam West's voice when they did the reunion. Yeah, that's, that's <clears throat> what I'm talking about. Oh, that would have been so much fun if they had animated Cesar Romero's mustache. If you would just be a close up of of him, just see the little lines. That would have been so funny. I didn't like the more most recent one with Two Face. I haven't seen that one yet. The producers, With, uh, the, Shatner doing uh, yeah. Two-Face? Yeah, I haven't I'm, seen and, that and Not because of Shatner, but, you know, the producer said they didn't do Two-Face because it didn't fit with the mood of the show. Right. Yeah, you could see why. Mm. It didn't fit. Mm. It didn't feel Batman 66 to me. Yeah, Two-Face uh, was a little too dark for him. Yeah, it just... Yeah, yeah. I need to I mean, watch. As, I as, as a Batman story, it was, it was, it was fine, but yeah. it just didn't seem to catch that, you know... Batman sixty six feel that we I we got from the first one. Yeah, I haven't. I need to catch up, see that one. But I mean, it was alright, but it just like I said, it didn't capture the mood as well as the first. One. <laughs> all right, so let's yeah. talk about some of these actors a little bit. Yeah, let's do that because there's a a, a blatant cast change. Right, and there's also a, a there's also an Adventures of Superman alum in this movie. Mm-hmm. Do you know who it is? I'm thinking. I know no. who it is. Look Where do it. you see? There's an alum of Adventures a guest of star, Superman. A guest star. Playing one of the villains. No. But one of the henchmen. No. Because there were a couple of, in the series, a couple of henchmen that had also been in the Adventures of Superman. Uh, well, what's well, his face? The big, big guy. Yeah. Played the wrestler. Oh, can they, Reeves. Might Richard, have even been the, Richard Reeves was in the show? Richard Reeves. He's not in this movie, no. but he was in a, I think he was in an episode of the TV show. Well, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get to him as we go through the cast. Okay. Yes, go All through right, the so, cast. Adam West. Batman. So he was in the original TV show. Who, who, Adam West? Adam West. Yeah. So was Burt Ward, I heard. And Burt Ward, yes. <laughs> you know, Bat- they were our Batman and Robin. Yes. You know, the way Adam West seemed to embrace the role of Batman later in life. Yeah. It's kind of the way I kind of would hope George Reeves would have if he lived. Yeah, I think he would have come around too once he had seen how, you know, the effect he had had and how much people respected him and, and worshipped him. Uh, he would have definitely come around and talk about a kingdom come Superman. He was practically kingdom come Superman in the last season. Yeah, he was. So, yeah. So Adam West is Batman. Yeah. What are your thoughts on him? 
Oh, I, I, I think Adam is, a, is, uh, is great. I think, uh, if anybody has seen the, um, what do you call those screening tests, screen tests, uh, of Lyle Wagner in the bat suit doing the lines before Adam West is in the bat suit doing the exact same lines, you'll realize that, yeah, they made the right choice. Adam, other people would not have pulled this off as deadpan dry and as seriously as Adam West with that comic beat. It was, you know, I, I just think this was terrific. He was just nailed this role. He and Burt Ward, too. Oh, yeah, you could talk about them as kind of a, yeah. as a package. Yeah, They're a package, that's just, Adam West and Burt Yeah, Ward. they really were. And from what I heard, they became great friends over the years. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. Bert, from what I hear, there's a, there's actually a fun documentary type movie out. I forget what it was called. You'll have to find it. But what was the name? And I forget the actors. I forget everything about it. But it was a TV made for TV type movie, and it showed the making of this show of this series with other actors playing their parts. And these two guys became kind of rock stars in right. mid 1966. By the time the movie came out, at the end of the first season. Between first and second season, Adam West and Burt Ward were rock stars, man. They were groupies hanging around them. You know, this was Batmania. It was Beatlemania. It was screams. It was, it was, uh, yeah, it was all of that that you think of as a mania. They were everywhere all the time. And uh, it was a package. And uh, Adam kind of took Burt Ward under his arm, under his wings, so to speak, because uh, Adam West was kind of a, he was, in real life, kind of playing the Bruce Wayne part right. that you think of in the comics, the playboy, the man about town. He was seen at all the best clubs. He was everywhere and uh, all the TV shows. I think he was smart enough at the time to know this wasn't going to last. So, right. you know, make hay while that bright light is on you. And uh, he lived the life for these three years that this show was on there. And he, and he kept living it. You know, yeah. he, this role... Became fertile ground for Adam West for the rest of his life. Yeah, absolutely. I think Burt Ward didn't do quite as well uh, after the show. Uh, well, in front of the camera. Behind the camera, I think he eventually is now a writer, director, producer. Right. Well, from what I had read about Adam West, and I could be wrong about this, was you know he expressed some of the same frustrations that George Reeves had after Superman. Oh, yeah. But oh, eventually yeah. he came around and figured, you, you know what? If this is what I'm known for, I'm going to go with this. Well, you got to, yeah. Better to go with it than just throw it all away, I think. And, you know, he, but, had a, he had a good life, and he's well-loved because of that. Absolutely. You know, he never really ran away from this. Exactly. Exactly. From what I heard about Burt Ward, is he spent a lot of time in the emergency room. From this show? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he was, uh, and that's one of the things they, because they, uh, there's two docu there's two things that I'm getting confused in the movies that I'm kind of mixing my head, where it was the making of where they had separate actors playing all the parts. And then there was a made-for-TV thing where they had Adam West, Burt Ward, Julie Newmar, and a bunch of them back together again, uh, uh, you know, uh, because somebody had stolen something or something. I forget the, the, the scenario around it. But in both of those, they, act, they, they emphasized how much Burt Ward was getting hurt because a lot of times they would say stuntman and Adam West stunt guy would come in, but Burt was still sitting in the car. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so – yeah, that's pretty funny. All right. So we'll, we'll, they also talk about Bert's private part uh, and the green um, in the first season. And this is something to look for, particularly when these buckling the seatbelts, apparently. Uh, 
he didn't know how to cover certain times at certain times. And Adam said, that's why we have capes. Oh, is that why? That's why. And there's a couple of things now when I heard Adam West say that. Little Bert tried, a, to, tried to escape? Yeah, well, you know, Bert's costume isn't long enough to cover his area. But if you look at certain scenes, there are certain scenes where I always wondered, why is Batman holding his cape like that in front of him? That looks weird. And, you know, maybe it was because he just did a scene with Julie or Batgirl or Yvonne Craig and whoops. Yeah, but Batman whoops. at least had a full costume. Yeah, but still, those briefs weren't, you know, it's still a full costume, but it's still the same. I mean, you know. I, I don't know the ins and outs of what uh, costume uh, Burt Ward wore, but if you look at it, it was he was probably wearing a green onesie underneath his Robin tunic. Yes, but underneath that, and and they had to tape him down there. Apparently, he is well endowed. Apparently. Is, is, is what the stories say. And they were having a hard time covering that uh, with the Robin costume even to where they stopped shooting those scenes of him from that area. And um, costume started using heavy bits of tape. And I'm thinking, well, that's got to be the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Well, he did play a character named Dick, so I guess it's appropriate. Exactly. Well, all right. and we know what everybody does. But um bum <laughs> So we will move on to that and to yes. the, into a recasting for this movie. Yes. Lee Merriweather is Catwoman, replacing uh, Julie Newmar, who was unavailable, from what I read, due to a back injury. Yes. Apparently she, uh, as a dancer and a theater person, had had an accident in the theater and had hurt her back and was unavailable to shoot this, which was too bad. Yeah. I mean, and no, I'm not taking anything away from Lee Merriweather. I think she did a fine job in this as Catwoman Kitka. But... Had Julie Newmar been here, then you've got the entire complete cast right. of the regular guys first season. And well, uh, from what I read, Julie Newmar did a bunch of a bunch of, what did she do? A bunch of first season episodes, and I believe she only did a handful of second season episodes. Yeah, she was in uh, I think only two second seasons before they. And I don't remember which one came first, Eartha Kitt or um, what am I drawing a blank on? Who else played Catwoman in the TV show? Nah, there was only three. There only three Catwomen associated right. with the Oh, right, right. Lee Merriweather, Eartha Kitt, and, and Julie, Julie Newmar. Newmar. Right. And uh, I think all three of them were fine Catwoman. I, Cat- li- I like that in the original, uh, more recent animated movie, the first one. The, the, right, they had all three, saw three of them. Catwomen, and it was yeah. one of each. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was pretty funny. That, that was pretty cool. Yeah. And uh, and I think all three of them were, were good Catwomen. I don't have a problem with all them. Right. But I would have loved to have seen uh, Julie Newmar do this in the movie because it was so much, you know, of the whole sexual tension thing between the two of them, finally. Right. And Julie kind of plays that a little more over the top than the others. Eartha Kitt didn't want – apparently there's something I was reading at one point, maybe in one of my books that I've got about Batman making of or something, that Eartha Kitt didn't want anything to do with the sexy stuff as far as – I don't know what happened. There might have been some little problem between her and Adam West. She didn't even want to do scenes with Adam. A little hard if you're playing Catwoman. Yeah, I know. And I'm thinking, well, why would you accept it, you know, other than the money, I guess. Uh, But she was a pretty hot Catwoman, too. But uh, there was something weird, and I I should have looked this up again. But now, you see, you just reminded me of this, and I'm thinking, how could I have looked it up earlier? Because now you just reminded me of it, and it came in. So I don't know. But, lovely listeners, you can go out there and look up, was Eartha Kitt, did Eartha Kitt and Adam West 
have some sort of a problem or tiff during the shooting of the Batman TV show. There you go. Trivia. Is Dave. Eartha Kitt still alive? She's still alive. Well, I don't know. There's my game. I wanted to invent this game like 20 years ago. Um, uh, uh, are they dead? And you just come up with somebody. Because we do this on Tuesday night. You know, my guys, the right. guys come over on Tuesday. And periodically, I'll just, I'll just pick up somebody's name and I'll go, Ed Asner, dead or alive, dead or alive. And, you know, if you pick somebody who's been around long enough, it's tough. It's, it's tough. Well, if you pick about anybody from the Adventures of Superman, they're gone. Except for yeah, they're all yeah. Except Phyllis, Phyllis is still around at ninety four, I think uh, now. Something like that. She's up there. Yeah, good for her. Eartha Kitt died on Christmas Day of two thousand eight. Ooh, okay. So, wow. Aged oh. eighty one. Wow. Oh. Wow. So she is not still alive. Okay. So Meriwether and uh, uh, Julie Newmar um, are still with us. I believe so. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So let's go to our next three villains. Cesar Romero as the Joker. Burgess, Burgess Meredith as the Penguin. And Frank Gorshin as the Riddler. Mm-hmm. All iconic performances. Absolutely. All three of those guys. Iconic performers. And it was really hard. When you when you really think about the, the Tim Burton 89 Batman movie, which is just one of the greatest Batman movies ever made, if not superhero movie it's really good folks <laughs> batman 89 yeah uh, it's really good but imagine here's jack nicholson playing the joker probably not all that familiar i don't think jack nicholson was a big comic book reader if he saw any of this tv show i think he's doing his version of the Caesar romero joker and uh the other jokers to follow do not but that that thing after he shoots in the eighty nine Tim Burton movie when the Joker kills um what's his face the boss oh uh, Tony Tony the guy he fries at the table yeah that was uh, and he just starts doing that ooh, ooh, uh, laughing and wiping the the you know the flesh tone makeup off to reveal the white face underneath a very clever little trick they did there by the way. Very clever. I would say the difference is though hmm. that I don't know if Cesar Romero's Joker just comes off as comes off as crazy. He comes off as a kind of a villain with a mo- with a gimmick. Yes, right. Okay, gotcha. Yes, yes. Whereas Jack Nicholson's, Nicholson's Joker was scary. Yeah, he was scary. He was he was you know. But I think the thing was that, that he kind of they're the same character but dark and and right. comic. One was a comic. One was a a dark clown. Right. Kind of, you know, Jack Nicholson was crazy. His was crazy. His was an evil Joker. And uh, I think Cesar Romero's Joker, within the context of the camp, uh, was not, you know, uh, above killing. He, I'm trying to think, did that Joker kill anybody? I don't know. There wasn't a lot of killing in the Batman No, there wasn't. But, you know, Um, he seemed, you know, crazy within the camp. Yeah, within the, within the, he wasn't. You know, over the top, and none of the none of them really, you know. But but at, at the time, it was weird because they really did feel like they could have come right out of the comic. All three of those guys. My favorite of the three is Frank Gorshin as the Riddler. Yes, uh, although I he is not my favorite when he's wearing those tights. <laughs> I'm, I'm I much prefer the. Uh... This, the green suit the green with the suit. derby. I, yeah. I love the green suit. So do I. I believe I, came from his his portrayal. 
Yes, I think it did too. Uh, that may have made it from from the TV show to the comics. Um, because I think his Riddler made it to the comics. I think that was one of the changes in the comics at the time, was his Riddler actually made it to the comic. Uh, but whether he's in those tights, there's something about the tights, though, when he's wearing the tights, it makes him more animated. Right, yeah. And he's, and he's you know, he's just so antsy and, and oh, you know, uh, it's Frank Gorshin. It's, he's so good. The only problem is sometimes it seems like him and the Joker are doing the same shtick. Sometimes. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Um, but there's this thing about Gorshin that he can just kind of like that and yeah. turn. And he goes from this little crazy over the top manic to just the guy wearing the suit. No, you go here, here and here and riddle me this. And that's something else that modern Riddlers. That's what bothers me in the Gotham show. I want Ed Nigma spouting riddles. Right. And he started spouting riddles in Gotham. And now that he's a main character and we're seeing him almost weekly, although they've been off the air now for a while, they haven't come back yet. But Nigma doesn't do the riddle. In fact, because they froze him, he lost some brain power and he can't even make up riddles. See, I don't like the creepy, crazy Riddler. You know, you no. know, I prefer, you know, the Riddler that, you know. Yeah. Riddler's smart. Riddler's smart. He's, he's to be very smart. smart. Yes. But his, yes. Hang, his hang up is he can't. His, I guess, what make him "quote unquote" crazy is that he can't stop himself from leaving a trail of riddles. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I, I like that about the Riddler—that he's genius, he's smart, he comes up with complex problems to solve the crimes, but he can't help himself. He has to tell the police, or of course, Batman. He has now. to leave the clue in the form of. A he's got to do it. He's got to do it. He can't help himself, and uh, uh, I, I like that. But all three of them have to do that. The Joker has to have a joke. There right. has to be a joke. Um, I think the only one is Penguin. See, I, like, I like a Joker that'll do something just because he thinks it's funny. Right. Exactly. Exactly. For no other reason than he thinks it's funny. You know, and, the, the, sometimes they make Joker a little too Batman obsessed. Yes. Well, that's, again, I think why the modern story that they just finished, well, recently, um, the War of Jokes and Riddles, I think, was the name of it in the modern Batman yeah. comics. It was such a good story. It was Batman, the Joker, and the Riddler. Very little text. An incredible story. And they couldn't figure out. And it really came down to the Joker does stuff because it's funny. Right. I like the idea of a Joker that will pour poison into the water supply because he thinks it's funny. It's funny. He's going to do it because it's funny. Yeah, I agree. Not and, the Joker that's planning this elaborate. Not the Joker we saw in the Snyder run, which was right, right. No, I face off and uh, yeah, none of that. No, 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 no. I could do without all that. Yeah, me too. Me too. And all right. And, Burgess, we didn't talk about Burgess Meredith at the Penguin. Another a non-smoker that a lot of the times that came about because he was coughing. <laughs> he was a non-smoker that they made have a lit cigarette with him all the time, even though apparently. Those were not tobacco. They were, I forget what they put in. It, it's, I forget, something. Europeans do it a lot. Burgess, um, Burgess Meredith is still my perfect penguin. He's a great penguin, isn't he? He is a really, really good penguin. He's got all the gimmicks, all the stuff. He's got the attitude. He's got that uh, air of superiority. Yes. I want to see the penguin done right in a Batman film. We haven't seen it since, maybe since no. this. 
I mean, I don't Danny know Devito. Danny Devito was close. He because his was a his was kind of a grotesque over the top penguin, but it was really close to the original Golden Age penguin story. The Golden Age penguin story of Copperpot Copplepot uh, was a pretty um, pathetic character, right? And so part of you, and I think that the was that the second Tim Burton movie that had the penguin in it, mm-hmm. Batman Returns. Yeah. Yeah, that one was an interesting take on the penguin because at first you, you you had a little empathy for him, a little sympathy for the guy. And I think that sometimes is kind of a good thing for a bad guy if you can feel something for them. But then he just turns out to be an e- evil asshole right. and you you know, you need to get rid of them. But uh but Burgess Meredith, man. You know, he's another a, one he's defined so much of what the penguin is to a lot of people. Oh yeah. Yeah. And and Pretty much right out of the comics. I think he tapped into a, a part of the comic penguin that now it's hard to read a, a Silver Age penguin, you know, Batman story without hearing Burgess Meredith. Right. You know, you, you, you just can't do it. And how they made all those gadgets an umbrella opening is not enough to make a guy float down. You can't fly on an umbrella. The physics do not work. End of discussion. Uh, comic book physics. Yeah, but they make it at work, and it and it's that kind of thing where you can suspend your disbelief. We, although the scene in this movie was not particularly great. They're gonna see I am late in the movie in the uh, at the UN. Yeah, exactly. Where the, pit, where the umbrella just floats through the hallway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, that shouldn't work, but it does. No, it doesn't. But that's it right after they come out of the abandoned elevator. Yeah, which is clearly yeah. labeled abandoned elevator. Abandoned elevator. I know. It's just. I love this so much. I just want to so talk about the season Romero for a minute. He would not shave his mustache. No. And after you see this in high definition on a big screen TV, <laughs> you you can never unsee the mustache on the No, you up. can't. You can't. You know, considering the time, 1966, again, most households still had black and white. But but because of Bonanza, lots of people were starting to buy color televisions. It was in the 60s. It was the number one tech device being bought in the 60s was a color television. And uh, that was the selling point of Batman 66. There were still shows on the air that were being filmed and broadcast in black and white in the mid 60s. And that's why Batman said, you know, the very first opening on on uh, uh, ABC was now in living color or whatever. It was whatever the ABC's color thing was. NBC's was the peacock. But to let you know that it that was a big deal. This is in full color. And they took advantage of the color in this show, you know, with the, the bright lights and the oh, bold colors. And, you know, it was a comic book. It was. That they put right up there on the on the little screen. But Cesar Romero's mustache. Right? Yeah. And we can run through the rest of these that pretty quickly. Yeah. Alien Napier as Alfred. He was fine. Fine. He's a good Alfred. He's a good Alfred. You know, he's helpful. He's some of my favorite scenes of of him as Alfred in the TV show is when he has to disguise himself as Batman. So he puts the costume (laughs) on. I think that's just I kind of wish that happened in this movie. Yeah, I think that's and it, and it probably should have in that scene where he and Robin are cruising around. Yes, and at first I thought, does he have a mask on under his glasses when he's driving the Batmobile? You know, he's got his little chauffeur hat on and stuff. And I think, wouldn't that be funny if he's got a little mask like a like the uh, Green Hornet mask or something? You know, his, I would have loved to have seen this show do. Hmm. You know how when Batman has a mask on his face and he pulls yeah. the mask off and the cowl is underneath it. <laughs> 
Yeah. Could have done that, like they did in the comic. Yeah, he pulls off the rubber head mask, and he's a fully cowled Batman underneath. Yeah. All right. After that, we've got our dynamic duo in the police office. Neil Hamilton is Commissioner Gordon, and Stafford Rep is Chief Miles O'Hara. How these two? How these two men advance to the highest rankings of the police department? (laughs) I will never know. Uh, Marriage. Marriage. I think Chief O'Hara's. Uh, wife is the governor's sister or something. Oh, oh, so uh, he, <laughs> he wasn't married to uh, Sergeant O'Hara from uh, Superman's wife. Uh, not, no way. Uh-uh. <laughs> she is a... Uh... Oh, Joy Lansing. Poor thing. All right, here's an actress that I'm not even sure why is on the cast list at all. Madge Blake as Aunt Harriet. I believe we only see her once, and that's sitting outside with Alfred by the garden as Bruce and Dick drive, drive in in the opening shot. Is that the only? Yeah, I think you're right. That is the, the only, only time, time we see, see uh, Aunt Harriet. The beginning. Yeah. Because I was trying to think, did, and this is one of my notes that I've meant to look up, the character of uh, Aunt um, um, Harriet. Harriet. God. The, uh, that character, was that from the comics or did she on the TV show that then came into the comics? She was in the comics? She uh, She's definitely in the comics. I don't know. I but know. I don't know which I'm not familiar first. enough with that era of Batman. Yeah, I need to look that up because she's definitely in the comics. If you pull out a 66, 67 Batman comic, it is this television show. Right. But my thing is, since this whole look and this attitude started a year and a half or two years before the TV show, I'm trying to think when did Aunt Harriet show up in the comics? Because she's definitely in the comics. And uh, I never, I, you know, I think... I think she had to be on the TV show first because I'm getting this thing in my brain that when she first appeared on screen in the TV show, I'm going, wait a minute, who's that? What the, the, Dick that, doesn't have an Aunt Harriet. Well, who's Aunt Harriet? Whose aunt was that? She's Dick Grayson's uh, aunt, the uh, sister of Dick Grayson's mother or something. But she's too old to be. I don't know. It doesn't work. You know, know. One of those things that I never thought of until Gotham came out. Yeah. Is really Bruce Wayne had so little family that uh, he had to be raised by the butler? Yeah, exactly. Okay, exactly. Uh, here we go. Uh, Harriet Cooper. Her first Earth One appearance was Detective Comics 328 in June 1964. 64. Yep. Yeah, okay. So, so she predated the show. All right, so when they started the new look in nineteen late 63, early 64, with the oval and the yellow and the, you know, Dick Giordano right. stuff, that's also when they brought in Aunt Harriet. Okay, so then a year later or two years later when the show starts, that's they bring her in as that too. All right, okay, that makes sense. See, it just it just validates my earlier point that the comics didn't copy the TV show. The TV show was based on the comics of the time. Right. So, okay, good. Okay. Next is uh, Reginald Denny as Commodore Schmidlap. Hello, Reginald Denny. I believe this might have been one of his last roles. Yes, I think it was, actually. And uh, another great old character actor. And it's funny, later when Burgess Meredith is doing him in the movie, right? he becomes Schmidlap. Yes. Okay, ready for our uh, Adventures of Superman alum? Yes. Milton Frome as Vice Admiral Fangschleister, the admiral who sold us up to the Penguin. Okay. He was Mr. Faraday in The Wedding of Superman. Faraday in The Wedding of Superman. The, uh, the, district, the, the district attorney. No, the public defender. Oh, right. In Lois's little dream right. show. He, he was the criminal in the dream. He was also in uh, Whatever Goes Up. He was the guy who was harassing Jimmy. 
Yeah, pants burned, and he was got in, it. Gotcha. He was in okay. one. He was in one other episode that's escaping me. Disappearing Lois. Disappearing Lois. He, yes. If you remember, he shot Clark in the arm. Yes. Required George Reeves to wear that spiffy cast for the end right. of one episode. So very did, good. He did, and there's also uh, one actor who appeared in Lois and Clark, Frank Gorshin. He did a cameo on a Lois and Clark episode at the end of season two. Frank Gorshin was yeah. in Lois and Clark. Yeah. Wow. The episode. Uh, Wine, 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 I want to say. Next last episode Whoa. of season two. He Whoa. was a small cameo. He was one of the lawyers Superman was interviewing when oh. he when he was sued, and he was just crazy. All right. Yeah, I, so much of that show after the first season is just not in my brain anymore. All right. Now, I, ha- I have even less to say about the next uh, four people who are listed here. Gil Perkins as Bluebeard, Dick Crockett as Morgan, and George Sawaya as Quetch. They're just thugs that are working with uh, right. the group. And uh, Van Williams is uh, credited as the voice of President Lyndon B. Johnson. Mm, okay. Interesting. Any of the uh, 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 diplomats, famous cameos of any kind? Not in the not in the list that I have. Okay. And Probably not. Probably not. Because they didn't focus on any of them. And I would think if any of them had been, you know, a cameo, a famous guy, they would have spent more than those long shots of them at the table and then right. just shrinking them and stuff. Yeah, because the show was famous for having people come out of the window when they walked up the. Uh... Right. Now was that guy who came out in this movie famous? Yes, I'm trying to think who it was. I don't, it know, was, I don't know who that is though. The I'm guy who to says think... to his wife that. You're right, honey. There was somebody walking up the wall. Man, I don't know who that was though, and I couldn't find anything on who that. Yeah, was. it is famous, but now I've forgotten the scene. I forgot who it was. I should have made a note. I meant to. I meant to look it up right now. Is that a Googleable thing? Well, Googleable. It might be a. IMDB thing. But, um, yeah, um, they might have like a man at the window or something like that. Right. Who came out of the window in the Batman movie, 1966? I, it wouldn't have been, um, what's his face with Ida Lupino and what is his name? There was a couple. I believe his name is George Cisar. Never heard of him. What? George Cisar. C I S A R. Some credits listed are The Andy Griffith Show, Dennis the Menace. Did the guy have black hair and glasses? I thought he was bald. Yeah. George Sissar. I don't know. Man, I'd have to see him here. That name, I'm drawing a total blank. But I know the guy, when he opened the window, I went, oh, that's that guy. Yeah. Wow. Wow. I don't know how many George episodes Sissar. he had. I don't know how many. Okay, huge. It wasn't uh, one of the real famous characters. You'd think they'd have done better for a movie. How you spell his last C? What was it? C-I-S-A-R. C-I-S-A-R. Give me a picture of this guy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. He might have even been on a few I Love Lucy's, too. He might have been. Probably one of those professional guest stars. He had a lot of... Oh, I know who he is. He's Otis, the drunk on Andy Griffith. On Andy Griffith, he's listed as Cyrus Tankersley. Oh, wait. Oh, yeah. Sorry. There he is without the hat. He had a hat on, and he looked like Otis the drunk. All right. Yeah, I see now. Andy Griffith. Okay. Yeah. Wow, this is who they got to come out of the window on the Batman movie? Yeah, you'd think they'd have done a little bit better. Wow. Because that was one of the famous things about the show. They have always had somebody famous coming out of the window. Yeah, they could have gotten, you know, Sammy Davis Jr. I mean, he was on the TV show. They could have, in the mid-60s, and they go with this guy? Yeah. I mean, this guy's not even a great B.A. He's like a... He's a professional TV guest star. Exactly. Incredible. No, they could have done... They could have gotten... Man, in the they could have, yeah, wow, that's amazing. All right. All right, and to round things out, the movie was written by Lorenzo Semple Jr., produced by William Dozier, 
and directed by Leslie H. Martinson. And my favorite thing about these three names is that I have no idea who they are. So I'm just just watching Batman. I'm not. They're all just Batman. I'm not watching Donner's Superman. I'm not watching Burton's Batman, Nolan's Batman, Schumacher's Mm. Batman. I'm getting tired of watching so-and-so director's superhero. I just want to see the superhero. I'm here for the superheroes, not for the directors. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. What's well, me in comics? I read Superman comics, regardless who's writing them. Sometimes right, exactly. I like them, sometimes I don't. But I don't just say, well, Graham Morrison's not writing Superman, so what's he writing? Oh, he's writing Charlie Brown. I'm going to go read Charlie Brown now. Right. You know, right. I don't you do know, I like Dan Jurgens writing Superman. Yeah, me too. You know, if Dan Jurgens will write something else that I'm reading, fine. Fine. Yes. But I'm not going to chase Dan Jurgens around. Yeah, me neither. When he quits Superman and goes off to do something else, I'm I'm not going to be following Dan Jurgens over to there. And in fact, you know, people keep saying I should be reading the Alan Moore Supreme series I don't because that's read it. where the real Superman is writing. Well, too bad he had his shot writing quote the real Superman when he was at DC. And he wrote whatever happened, and he did do a couple of I think decent Superman stories down there somewhere. But but. You know, to then say, oh, no, go over and read Supreme because there's the real Superman. Well, no, that's some other guy, you know. All right. So we've gone through all that, the cast and the crew a little bit. Why don't we take a quick break and then we'll come back and uh, talk about the movie. Okay. My name is Bob Fisher, and I'm the host of the Superman Forever radio podcast. On the Superman Forever radio podcast, I talk about Superman from 1938 to present day. And in 2018, we celebrate the 80th anniversary of the Man of Steel's first appearance in Action Comics with a full year of new episodes, more episodes, plus new features like The Adventures of Superman When He Was a Boy. Superboy is coming to the Superman Forever radio podcast. Also, the Superman Forever Roundtable Discussion Group, where I gather together some of the best Superman podcasters around, and we talk Superman. So if you want to know why I've been a Superman fan for over 60 years, point your favorite podcatcher to the Superman Forever radio podcast at supermanforever.com. All right, welcome back, folks. We'll go right. That there. was a quick break, wasn't it? Was that a good break? That did you guys good... have a fun break out there. And... I hope. I hope they did. I hope they did too. Because now we're finally going to get into the movie proper. And we, we rambled on a lot about other stuff, <laughs> but necessary background, I think. Yeah. So here, here's our synopsis brought to you by Wikipedia. Well, if anybody listens to this show and expects, especially when I'm on it, to get right to the point. It's not going to happen. No, the, the the George Reeves episodes that you were on were twice as long <laughs> as the other ones. Yeah, yeah, I, I talk. <laughs> that that's fine. That's if you were silent, you wouldn't be much of a guest. I know. No, I could do yes or no answers. Uh huh. Sure. <sighs> All right. So when Batman and Robin get a tip that Commodore Schmidlap is in danger aboard his yacht, they launch a rescue mission using the Batcopter. As Batman descends on the bat ladder to land on the yacht, it suddenly vanishes beneath him. He rises out of the sea with a shark attacking his leg. After Batman dislodges it with bat-shark repellent, 
The shark explodes, and I can't seem to say that without laughing. Batman and Robin head back to Commissioner Gordon's office, where they deduce that the trip was a setup by the United Underworld, a gathering of four of the most powerful villains in Gotham City. The Joker, the Penguin, the Riddler, and the Catwoman. The United Underworld equipped themselves with a dehydrator that can turn humans into dust, an invention of Schmidlap who is unaware that he has been kidnapped, a submarine made to resemble a penguin, and their three pirate henchmen, Bluebeard, Morgan, and Quetch. It is revealed the yacht was really a projection. When Batman and Robin return to a buoy concealing a projector, they are trapped on the buoy by a magnet and targeted by torpedoes. They use a radio detonator to destroy two of the missiles, and a porpoise sacrifices itself to intercept the last one. Catwoman, disguised as Soviet journalist Miss Kitka, helps the group kidnap Bruce Wayne and pretends to be kidnapped with him, as part of the plot to lure Batman and finish him off with another of the penguins exploding animals, not knowing that Bruce Wayne is Batman's alter ego. After Bruce Wayne escapes the captivity, the penguin himself, as the Commodore, schemes his way into the Batcave, along with five dehydrated henchmen. This plan fails when the henchmen unexpectedly disappear into antimatter once struck. The penguin mistakenly rehydrated them with heavy water used to recharge the, the Batcave's atomic pile. Ultimately, Batman and Robin are unable to prevent the kidnapping of the, of the dehydrated United World Organization Security Council, giving chase in the Batboat to retrieve them, and Miss Kitka, presumed by the duo, is still a captive. Robin uses a sonic charge weapon to disable the Penguin submarine and force it to surface, where a fistfight ensues. Although Batman and Robin win the fight, Batman is heartbroken to find out that his quote-unquote true love, Miss Kitka, is actually Catwoman when her mask falls off. Commodore Schmidlab accidentally breaks the vials containing the powdered council members, mixing them together. Batman sets to work constructing an elaborate filter to separate the mingled dust. Robin asks him whether it might be in the world's best interest for them to alter the dust samples so that humans can no longer harm one another. In response, Batman says they cannot do so. Batman says they cannot do so, reminding Robin of the fate of the Penguin's henchmen and their tainted rehydration, and can only hope for people to, in general to learn to live together peacefully on their own. With the world watching, the Security Council is rehydrated, all the members are restored alive and well, continuing to squabble among themselves and totally oblivious of their surroundings. But each of them now speaks the language and displays their stereotypical mannerisms of, an, of a nation other than their own. Batman quietly expresses his sincere hope to Robin that this mixing of minds does more good than it does harm. The duo quietly leave world, United World Headquarters by climbing out the window. And I hope you haven't climbed out the window yet. Who, me? Okay, good, you're still here. <laughs> I'm still here. Are you right. still there? I'm still here. So there we go. There, there's our story in a nutshell. And what a nutshell it is. Right. Uh, pretty amazing little story. Now, obviously, you know, you can pick the thing apart like crazy with the physics and stuff. But there's some fun beats. It's some really fun to do beats. That. Yeah, you can't. If you, you really can't when you start doing these kind of... Yeah, it just defeats the whole purpose of... Especially of, with this movie. Yeah, with this movie, you can't. It's so over the top, so campy, so crazy. And there, but there are fun moments where you actually, well, I find myself even watching it the other day. I was thinking, for example, the scene where um, are we just going to jump around now? Are we going to talk yeah, about we, it in we, order? We don't have to go chronologically. Okay, we're just going to jump around because um, the scene where uh, Bruce Wayne and Miss Kitka are having their little date, right? Right. And and Alfred is driving the Batmobile with Robin, and they're following it on their TV screen, right, in the Batmobile. And I'm thinking, that's some nice uh, camera setup you got there somehow that you can just watch all that in yeah, color. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. How uh, <laughs> are they getting that video? 
Yeah, exactly. That's some real nice tech you got there. You got some real nice hidden drones or hidden cameras floating. I mean, what is it? This is amazing. I don't know how you're getting it those images. It was beamed to the Batmobile from Talos 4. <laughs> Apparently. So <laughs> I wanted the same thing in the Menagerie, how uh, Ooh, they got all that, how Spock got all that footage. Yeah, a Trek reference. That was a good one, too. Yeah, but and then we find out, well, of course, it was mentally projected to them, the actual images of what happened from right. the mental people of Talos 4. But there was no explanation as to how he got cuts and pans and... Yeah, exactly. Cuts. Exactly. But uh, I love this scene where um, Bruce and Miss Kitka start to have, you know, get a little intimate. Not a lot. It's just, you know, kids TV, so it's a little smoochy. Yes, but and as the not... adults, you can see they were well on their way. Right. Exactly. Well, Robin, in the Batmobile, okay, turns off the camera... And I forget his line, but he says it may not be the right thing, but it's the prudent thing or something like that. Is that prudent, Master Robin? Our instructions were to keep watch. I don't know about prudent, Alfred, but it sure as heck the only decent thing to do. Hmm. Perhaps. Yes. yes. Meaning I don't want to watch uh, Bruce make out with Miss Kitka. But we're supposed to be watching them in case something happens. I mean, they he totally disobeyed and that. something fan. does happen. Of course it does. And that's the whole point. When the plot, as soon as he turns that off, I'm thinking, oh, don't do that. And weren't they right outside? Yeah, right outside. How did he Looking miss those up. flying umbrellas? Exactly. How did they miss any of this? How did any of this happen? Are they on the other side of the building? Uh, was there clouds? Is she at the top penthouse uh, and you just can't see that high from the streets of Gotham? Uh, I, I don't know. There's so many, again, too many questions. He and but, Alfred are probably arguing over whether to turn the thing on. Exactly. And they missed the whole thing. And they missed the whole thing. But in that scene, I think that is also the scene where I had to look close because the way the shadow was cutting across in the brim of the hat that Alfred was wearing, it really looked for a point that he had like a domino mask on under he his did. glasses. He did. So Alfred was wearing a domino mask so or did, a mask, he was a wearing little black a mask, mask over his eyes. Why did he just? Why did he just wear a bat suit? He wore it in the. Oh, that's great that he did have a mask on then. Okay, good, good. Because I thought at first it was just a shadow. I thought at first, ooh, he's wearing a mask. And then I thought, well, it's just a shadow. No, I, I couldn't I really tell. I'm, I'd have to go back and look, but I'm pretty sure he had a domino yeah, mask on. Yeah, good. Good. That's good. He should. He shouldn't just be Alfred driving Robin around. He should be Alfred with a domino mask driving Robin around. and Or, or in the bat suit. I'm not or sure in how the bat suit, Alfred which in the bat been, suit. Would have been better. Yes, but Alfred in the bat anybody, suit. But. Yeah. Well, from a distance, yeah. maybe. But especially if he's just sitting there, not like in one episode where he's standing on a street corner, obviously looking like, you know, five inches taller and about 30 pounds skinnier. Right. Yeah. It was funny. That's just funny to watch uh, Napier in that uh, in the bat suit. Now, I mean, Robin's got some interesting ideas throughout this whole movie, because yes. at, at the end, he wants to tinker with the uh, security council a little bit. I'll activate the computer link feed in the various ethnic and national factors. Batman, wait a minute. What? Well, with the way the world is and all, don't you think maybe we ought to try to improve those factors? Kind of reshuffle them a little? No, Robin. No. It's not for mortals like us to tamper with the laws of nature. Indeed, in this very Batcave, you saw a ghastly example of what happens when one tries to do that. 
gosh, yes, Batman. When you put it that way, here we go. Yeah, yes. Isn't this what got the Justice League in trouble and brought about Infinite Crisis? Okay. Thank you. See? Maybe they watched this, and that's what the idea they came up with. Well, they sure didn't listen to Batman. It wasn't a good idea. Exactly, because they should have listened to Batman. But they were just bent. They were hell bent on getting rid of Superboy and Supergirl. They were going to do anything it took, even if it meant totally blowing up the entire DC universe. We can't stand Superboy and Supergirl. Got to get rid of them. But apparently this Robin was okay with messing with people's minds a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, you know, well, his his motives were, were, were probably, you know, sincere. Right. That couldn't we, you know, we have the opportunity to bring them back as good people, take out their evilness. But these are, you know, these are the good guys. No, you just got to bring them back like they are. You can't. Way to go, Batman. Well, but, they, uh, they get screwed up anyway. Oh, of course they do, because... And what do you think about the uh, uh, that scene? Since we're in close to that scene, where they are flying on the hell on the on the umbrellas, giggling and laughing and rah, rah, rah. oh, it's oh, oh, it's great! It's uh, <laughs> it's per- it's perfect for this movie. Yeah, it really is. And apparently, when I saw it for the first time, some stuff was cut out of it mm. because a few years eventually, when I watched the uh, I watched it again another time, I didn't remember the scene where Robin tell, calls G- Gordon and tells him to flash the bat signal. Oh, oh, uh-huh. Yeah, that's and, a great... That was pretty clever, actually. And But... Why do you need the bat signal when you've got the bat phone? Well, because of situations like this. Batman may not be near the phone because you don't have a cell phone. The bat phone is actually in the Batmobile I'm or sure, the Batcave. I'm sure Batman it, has a bat phone in the, in the crapper, probably. Yeah, but he's got uh, he has a a, a way uh, uh, in his utility belt shortwave to tap into the bat phone. They did that in an episode, but I think the way they did that was Robin was still in the Batmobile, so he was talking shortwave, and then that got hooked. I don't know. They did some sort of weird dumb tech, but uh, the bat signal, you know, came first, and then the bat phone came way later. I don't recall how much the bat signal was used in the show, if at all, really. Periodically, but most of the time it was going to their red phone. Right. And sometimes it was because they couldn't reach him on the red phone, they flashed the bat signal. Or because it just looked cool to have him up there. Well, it, uh, it, it definitely looked cool to have Chief O'Hara and two other extras in uniform to light the thing. To light the thing, right. Can't, he, can't Chief O'Hara do it himself? Can't Chief uh, O'Hara yeah. do anything himself? Well, you need somebody there to listen to him monologue out loud to say his expositional line. It would have been dumb if he said something and nobody was there to hear him. It's dumb when it's dumb when somebody is there to hear him. <laughs> Saints us and Begara. What is it? Faith in Begara. Was he in the comics? Eventually, I don't. He wasn't. I don't remember him being there. I, this is not uh, my Chief O'Hara or the comic book Chief O'Hara or or Commissioner Gordon. Um, you know, Commissioner Gordon in the comics, even in the 60s, was never this lame. No. No, never this lame. I mean, like uh, I said, a, a jaywalker and right. a ticket needs to be written and Batman gets called. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, no, uh, not even in the comics after this did they make uh, the Gotham City Police total buffoons. Probably one of the most famous moments in this movie, right at the very beginning, is the exploding shark. The exploding shark. Uh, the very beginning, I was gonna, that's my other note. Uh, well, not my other, but one of them is that, boy, they sure showed us all the bat tech real quick, didn't they? 
Well, right yeah. at the beginning of this, we're in the bat copter, the bat boat, the Batmobile. I mean, you got them right there in the first like ten minutes of this episode. Yeah, we don't uh, see the bat cycle until later. We don't see the bat cycle, but we do see those. And what's something we'd never saw in the first season of the episode? We didn't see the bat copter in the first season, and I don't think we saw the bat boat in the first season. So both of those were new to the movie and rarely used uh, after that because it's probably, probably too expensive. The they probably didn't have the budget for it. Yeah. To uh, to fly that Batcopter. I'm surprised they even had the budget to make the Batcopter. Well, they used the Batcopter quite a bit. They used both the copter and the boat quite a bit. In the movie, yeah. They moved the copter at least twice. Yeah. The boat probably three or four times. Three or four times, yeah. You saw, so, you saw all, the bat, all the Bat tech. All the Bat tech. I would have liked it, and they couldn't afford to do it in, in a 60s movie. But I would have liked to have seen the Batcopter and the Bat boat hidden in the bat cave somehow and that's where instead of them going to the airport they keep it at the airport and at the docks i don't know that, you, that you seemed a little you can't really keep a helicopter in a cave <sighs> it's batman he'll figure out a way to do it i mean it. you can keep a plane in the cave a yeah which he does which he does but the, in in the comics he's got all kinds of crap leave a helicopter in a yeah foldable they, 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 they ride vertically so he'd go right unless he's got a Hatch. Maybe it comes out of the out of the front lawn or something. <laughs> and yeah, at the airport, apparently this guy. Have you, no, did you noticed the guy's jumpsuit? He had the he had the Batman logo on his jumpsuit. Oh, I didn't notice that. Oh, that's cool. So does Batman <laughs> pay these people? <laughs> apparently, well, Bruce is really really rich. Right. Yeah. So he has a staff of people that yeah. he can afford. Because the guy who's prepping the the Batcopter is wearing a Batman. He has a Batman logo on his back. Okay, that's very cool. I did not notice that. So that's the airport staff. Yeah, he's got his own people. You know, in modern and I guess when did he? I don't know when he came in nineties. I guess Lucius Fox shows up to be Bruce Wayne's tech guy and or something. Actually, they, Lucius, they use, Fox, you, Lucius Fox was around a lot longer than that. Yeah, probably. I think but he showed up in the seventies. Was it the seventies? The Bronze Age? Yeah, I think you're right. That makes more sense. When uh, he left the bat. He left uh, Wayne Manor for a while and lived in uh, uh, in, in Gotham. In the penthouse. Yeah, in the penthouse. And, kind of, but, he, but he's not running Wayne Enterprises. He's kind of like Bruce's uh, yeah, exactly. right, right-hand man. Yeah, yeah. That. And they've used that character for similar stuff in both Gotham and other venues to make him kind of the, the go-to guy to, for bat tech. Yeah, Nolan kind of did it at the expense of Alfred, though, which I didn't like. Yeah, I agree. I didn't like that either. I didn't like that either. They both serve a purpose. You need them both, and they both have a good... Uh, I think Gotham has done a good job with that. The one thing that annoyed me about uh, The Dark Knight is Alfred should have been behind the, the computer at the cell phones, not Lucius Fox. Agreed. Agreed. Alfred has to be in Batman's head. I agree. So, what do you think of the exploding shark uh, grabbing onto Adam West's leg? <laughs> uh, it was funny at the time... And then I hated it as I got older. And then watching it this week, I laughed again out loud. So, you know, part of me wishes it weren't there. But then I laughed again. I mean, I laughed again. And not an ironic, goofy, not, uh, but I laughed. You know, of course, Robin's going to do a little acrobatic trip to bring him down the bat repellent spray. (laughs) Because it it was still in that era era where Batman needed a a tap dancing dwarf that could... uh, (laughs) Play the yeah. harmonica. He'd have one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, yeah. So I had to laugh at that. I and I and I did laugh and watching, you know. And I'm 
thinking everything as it's happening. I'm thinking that's probably a stunt Batman and the real Burt Ward <laughs> doing his legs hanging you know, on that yeah. thing. You know, I'm watching that and I'm thinking, there's got to be an easier way to do that than this. I know, I know. So, but I, I, I did laugh. But I can't watch that scene without thinking of the phrase "jump the shark," and um, you know, which, I, I think of the Happy Days, which, which was not which was not coined yet, which had not been coined exactly. It, it took Happy Days Fonzie jumping over a shark. And that was the late seventies, I believe. Yeah, and uh, in season two, I think it's season two where they do the surfing too in this show in the Batman TV show, where they all go to the beach and do a. A little sur- Batman and Joker have a surfing competition. It's yeah. Mm. They wear bathing suits of the time. Forgot what they were called. The long bathing right. suits. The wetsuits. Uh, yeah, uh, but no, no. They had like flowery type short bathing suits over the top of their costumes while they're riding surfboards. Sure. Yeah, it's very funny. Why not? Yeah, why not? It's very funny. Uh, so where are we? Where? Okay, and that was the uh, the shark. Oh yeah, you know, the it, shark. It, it, it explodes because the boat had magically disappeared. <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, then they go back to uh, the commission, the commission of court's office, where Batman is holding a press conference, which is very weird to see. Very weird daylight press conference from Batman. And Commissioner Gordon isn't saying a thing. Mm. Why should he? He's just the police commissioner. Right. This is where Kika shows up for the first time, casually asking Batman to remove his mask. Yeah. That was pretty funny, and that was a real fun take where everybody... See, that is one thing about this that they have totally disregarded in modern movies, and to some degree even in the comics. Everybody nowadays, modern writers, think the whole secret identity thing is stupid. They don't like it most of the time. And this period of time in the 60s, that was sanctimonious. I mean, not sanctimonious. What's the word? Sanctisanct. It's sem- it's you don't. It's sacred. Right. You don't right. screw around with people's secret identities. You know, Lois would never say Clark to Superman in public. Right. Ever. Okay. It wouldn't happen. Even even when she should know better. Exactly. So that would I'll not give, happen. I'll give her a pass for Man of Steel, but yeah, but not for not Justice, Justice League, League was inexcusable. Inexcusable, you know. Now people will justify it in Justice League, saying that well, he hadn't been called Superman yet. He would not have responded to her if she had yelled out Superman. Bullshit. It's Lois. He'll respond to her. Okay. Right. Don't need to call his name out with all those. Anyway, in the sixties. You can see why that scene was so good when she just says, excuse me, would you remove your mask so I may have a bed? And the place, everybody goes, <gasps> goes silent. Commissioner Gordon had almost had a heart attack. Is it, what? And then Batman just calms everybody. No, we can't do that. <laughs> yeah. Our, our effectiveness as crime fighters. Crime fighters. Yeah. That's just really funny. So, but they, they, that was sacrosanct. Is that the word? Sacrosanct. We'll stick with sacred. Yeah, let's just stay with sacred. But that's the thing. You just want to, you, you, you know, secret identities meant something in the 60s. And uh, the superheroes really don't want people to know. There were a few, uh, Ralph Dibney, there were a few superheroes in the 60s that, well, it, that worked without uh, a secret identity. It was even, you know, even, uh, they started loosening that up even in the early 90s. You know, guy, yeah. that guy Gardner, who everybody, who was public. Right. I remember there was a, Guy Gardner guessed it in a Superman comic, and 
Gardner called Superman for help because he was looking for Hal Jordan. Mm. And Gardner kept saying Jordan. And then Superman looks at him like, is that his first name or his last name? Oh, and like Superman God, didn't even know, they that, didn't know that Hal Jordan, Jordan was Green Lantern. Was Green Lantern. Mm. And then he says something to the – Gardner is shocked and he says something to the effect of, wait. No, there was a time when superheroes didn't tell their identity. They didn't tell their identity. There's a Justice League uh, comic from this time period. I think it's the issue 19 of Justice League from the 60s. Well, volume one, the original Justice League comic. But in issue 19, they become exiles. They have to leave Earth because, well, it's a it's fun little complicated story. But for some reason, you know, they have to leave Earth. Uh, Earth has exiled them, but in their super identities. Right. Okay. So on the little rocket ship as they leave Earth, right, as they're superhero people. They had. They all go into a room and they say, "Well, you know, the only way we can do this is if we go back and fight not as our superheroes, but as our secret identities." And one of them says, "Well, you know, that would mean revealing our secret identities to each other." And they all go in a little room, a separate rooms, and come back out in their secret identities, and then have to tell each other who they are. Well, except Wonder Woman, because she's the only woman, and. Uh, I thought that was such a great issue. It's still one of my favorite Justice League issues of all time. Not a great story, but just right. that scene itself of them having to, you know, tell themselves. Because to me as a kid at the time, that was a big deal. That was a really big deal for them to expose, you know, let each other know who they are. Except Superman and Batman knew who each other were. Right. But Superman and, like, even in modern times, Superman and Batman were always the holdouts. Yeah, Exactly. Exactly. I mean, after after you know, Batman, you know, did his crap, <laughs> right. and they were everybody was demanding transparency, including Superman. Right. Batman looks right at Superman and says, "Sure, I'll tell them everything about me." Yep. After you, <laughs> <laughs> and eventually they both did it. But it was like I remember that book well because everyone was like, yeah. "You're Clark Kent. I read your column." Right. <laughs> and then after you find out he's Bruce Wayne, so that's how you afford all this stuff. Yeah, that whole money thing with Bruce Wayne. Another yeah, one of my favorite 60s episodes is when a dead detective who had died sends information, sends a costume to uh, address to Bruce Wayne. And it's a Robin costume that Bruce Wayne wore when he was a teenager. I, I remember that. Yeah, it's a great story. And the the cop waited until he died. And his last wish was to let Batman know he figured it out and how he figured it out. Right. It's a great story. But you see, that only tends to happen with, like, Batman and uh, Bruce Wayne. They have relatively famous alter egos. Right. There was one, I think it was a Justice League cartoon, where they switch, where the League of Switch Bodies with some of the villains. I think Luthor becomes the Flash. Right, right. He takes off the Flash's mask. <laughs> Finally know who the Flash is. <laughs> he looks who he is, right. I have no idea who this is. <laughs> right. right. Yeah, I thought that was a funny scene, too. I thought that was really funny. And it makes sense. And I think that's why the Clark Kent thing works. Right. Nobody knows Clark Kent. A few people might, you know, Metropolis yeah. might read his column or something. But Not everybody will recognize a reporter. Of course not. Of course not. Uh, which is why I think the Bronze Age didn't work quite as well with him being the 6 o'clock news anchor. Yeah, yeah. 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 Overthought okay. it. Nice try, Carrie Bates. And I like Carrie the- Bates. So, Back to the movie. Yeah. Movie. So they have to go to the closed circuit TV to figure out which of the uh, super criminals is still out large. You're the commissioner of, of of a major metropolitan police force. How could you not know that the Joker, the Penguin, the Riddler, and the Cat and Catwoman are not in jail? Yeah. How do you not know that? Yeah. You would even think the warden would have notified 
Gotham City people. Uh, you know those four really big bad guys that Batman keeps bringing to us? Yeah, they're out now. We don't even lock the door anymore. Yeah. Mm. And uh, what about for what do you think of the riddles in this movie? Uh, <clears throat> that's a good question because some of them I liked and some of them I thought were just well that didn't make any sense at all. That did any of them make any sense? Not really. You're jumping. You make you know you're having these huge leaps, and I think maybe maybe they even did that for you know comic relief of some kind where Robin figures it out. But the way he figured it out makes absolutely no. What's black and white and red all over? A zebra. Therefore, we got to check the newspaper. What? Right. It happened at C. C for Catwoman. Huh? Yeah. 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 It makes no sense. But it's too bad because I think that's probably the hardest part of all of their characters is coming up with good riddles. And I think what they really did was say, well, let's just make them stupid. I think that's why the Riddler doesn't get used as much as some of the others. Because he's hard. Right. You know, his whole thing is riddles. And that's why if he stops, I think that's why Gotham uh, took that away from me, gave him the bonk on the head when he was frozen and it hurt his brain because it was just too damn hard to come up with those riddles all the time and make them clever and good and meaningful. And, you know, I mean, you uh, can say a lot about Jim Carrey's performance in Batman Forever and most of it bad. Yeah. But the riddles in that movie were, were pretty good. Yeah, and from what I remember, I haven't seen that in a while. I need to do that because la- for last Christmas, uh, Christmas 2016, so yeah, last Christmas, I got 2016, uh, I got that Batman collection of the, the, you know, the two Tim Burton movies and then the three after that. Yeah, two. Two after that, right. Uh, which Batman and Robin is one, and but that one too, the one with. So do you, um, so you admit to owning Batman and Robin? Yeah, I do admit to owning Batman and Robin. So do I, and, and I could justify it. Right. Well, because, it came with the bundle. Right. Well, uh, and I didn't want Batman and Robin when the bundle came out. Right. But it was cheaper to buy the bundle. Exactly. It was cheaper it was, to buy the bundle than it was to buy the other three. Exactly. So I I got the bundle. So uh, I have it. But, you know, the one with Jim Carrey and, and Tommy Lee Jones and uh, what's his face? Um, Kilmer. Right. Uh, you know, I, I need to watch that again in a different mindset and maybe think of it more like I think of this show right. instead of a modern Batman movie. And maybe I'll enjoy it more. You know, I'll uh, say this about, you know, this version of Batman. Yeah. This is the first Batman I show the kids. This is the first you would what show a kid? This is the first Batman that I've shown the kids, my kids. Oh, your kids. Right. The Adam West Batman, yeah. right. Yeah. Because I can see that. I can see that. Yeah. Can, I think it's a good start, good place to start. Corey was watching Batman and Robin. You know what? Let's get him in. He's watching Batman. Right. You know, he right. can refine his taste later and decide what versions he really likes, but Exactly. How you know, old is he? Well, now he's 10. 10. Or good he's getting 10. You're getting close to where maybe the animated, Batman animated yeah. series. But, you know, at, I mean, I've known Corey since he was two. I wasn't going to, at five years old, give him uh, Batman no. Returns. No, 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 so no, he no, st- no. He wanted to watch Batman. We started him with this. Yeah. And, and actually, after I'd watched this to, this to prepare, I watched it at night after everybody went to bed. Right. Yeah, but I, was, I still had, you know, I left it out on the ta- on the coffee table. Haley saw it and wanted to watch it, so we mm. put it in. Okay. She watched it for about 45 minutes, which is about as long as you can get her to watch any movie at home. <laughs> right. And then right. she pitters off and does something else. Right. Right. It's a little hard. It's right. a little but hard. She she watched it for a time. Right. I was actually surprised at the running time of this movie. 
I thought it was going to be shorter. My memory had it at like, you know, an hour 10 or something. This sucker's almost two hours long. Eh, it's about an hour 45, which is actually short for a superhero movie that we're used to. Yeah, but in it my is, brain... It, it is long. It is long for what I... I thought it was, you know, maybe, you know, that they could have shown it as a two-part episode at one point. But they couldn't do that. This would be like a two-and-a-half, three-part episode. Does, the movie does kind of overstay its welcome a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By the time and it, there are some filler scenes. Well, there's a lot of filler scenes. Yeah. By the time you get to the end of this, you're ready for this movie to be over. I agree. I agree. I enjoyed it while I was watching it, but it's... To me, it's not a yearly viewing. It's not something no. that I'm going to pop in all the time. Where I don't mind watching, I could watch that pilot, the Riddler first episode, quite regularly. There are some elements of that that are just right on the money that just make me smile watching a Batman live action do what that first Riddler episode does. So at what point did you realize they killed off a dolphin in this movie? Yeah, that was amazing, wasn't it? It never occurred to me. It really didn't. It didn't occur to me uh, until recently watching it. I went, oh, my God, they killed that dolphin. Yeah, it didn't occur to me until recently. Not a, In the 60s, it didn't occur to me at all. Right, yeah. It didn't occur to me until recently either. Yeah, like, it was recently. The dolphin sacrificed itself for Batman? Wait, what? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> of of course, after, you know, the batteries die in his little uh, doohickey. Yeah. Like, yeah. Really? He doesn't have a spare set of batteries in his? Uh... Yeah. He didn't check the batteries before he left? <laughs> he has a nuclear reactor in his bat cave. Yeah. And he can't doesn't check his about, double A's. Check, yeah. yeah. You know, kind of reminds yeah. you made me think of one of the filmation cartoons. <laughs> Which one? Uh, it was an episode, it was a Brainiac episode where mm. he's bringing animals, stealing animals from the circus. And Brainiac's ship gets destroyed with all the shrunken animals on it. Mm, right, right. Like, did nobody think of this? Right. I don't, I'll bet kids probably didn't think of that, but we never saw the, him get the animals off. Right. Well, I think in the first Brainiac story, uh, which I need to reread for my episode coming up, is is uh, the final thing. Superman, after he gets, you know, restores the Earth cities, Paris and Metropolis and whatever, and takes the bottle city of Candor out, he pretty much lets Brainiac go on his way in his sleep thing with all of those other cities from all those other worlds still on the ship. Right. And in another story, the ship was exploded after he got all the stuff out. So Brainiac had escaped in an escape pod, but his ship was destroyed with all of those other cities and worlds. So Superman was only able to save the Earth cities and Krypton and Kandor. So it's just it's just kind of weird how they do that sometimes. So what do you think of this invention of uh Schmidlaps? Well, the dehydrator yeah, I, I, you know, uh, yeah, science fiction has used that before. And I think something I was trying to think as a kid, I was reading about that, where that's how they did the space, certain space flight to, instead of putting them in suspended animation, was to dehydrate them, since the human body is 98% water or some right. nonsense. Um, I thought it was okay, and I think there was a funny take, a funny take that because they use the hard water of the nuclear reactor. Yeah, that way all of his, uh, <laughs> when you touch them, they they, they, they exploded. Yeah. They became yeah. an Batman seems to know that they became antimatter. Antimatter, right? So they've gone yeah. to a different universe. They <laughs> yeah, went to right. Quark. Yeah, good luck with that. I, I think as a gimmick, it's fine, and it and it added some you know a way to move stuff back and forth. And, and if you like, notice at the end on the little uh, device that Batman uses to uh, rehydrate them. Mm. It says light water on it. 
Light water, yes. Just to specify that. <laughs> to make sure that the knob is turned to the right side. Here or, so, or soft water, I believe it was. Soft water, I think, yeah. If you turn it to the left, it's the soft water. It's regular soft water, yeah. Yeah, you see the uh, when he's putting – when the penguin is uh, hooking up the hose, he accidentally mm-hmm. hits the lever. Right. I think that's always one of the – had been one of the tropes from season one of everything being well – uh, marked and well defined, so that the the viewer knows exactly what's going on. And uh, well, some well, of those, you know, I, I tried to go back a little bit and see if the dehydration machine was there early mm-hmm. in the movie, but I couldn't find it. Mm, okay, but yeah. I did go back in the, the second when Haley was watching it the next day. I was like, okay, there's that. They use that later, but I didn't right. find the, the de- dehydration machine. Yeah, I didn't even think to go back and look for that. But uh, I, you know, I think it's very funny, and I think it was. It was funny when, uh, um, you know, Penguin masquerades as the Admiral. Right. Commodore. Commodore, rather. <clears throat> and uh, Robin notices right away. Oh, they're not, they're not fooled in the slightest. Not not for a split second are they fooled. And I think that's interesting. Does does uh, the Penguin think he's fooled them? He does. He, I think he does. Yeah. Because it's pretty funny when he wakes up in the Batmobile uh, in the bat cave. Oh, wait. Yes, that's right. I'm, I'm the Commodore. Right. Uh, I think Burgess Meredith is just so good. Oh, he's, yeah, absolutely. He's, you know, th- I think that's the beautiful thing about those three actors, particularly, and not taking away anything from Lee Merriweather. She was excellent too. But these three guys are top flight character actors, uh, and people. They're good at comedy. They've done serious work. Uh, all three of them had been both, you know, well, had done a lot, both theater and musicals and serious drama and comedy. And you're getting real actors doing real stuff. And they sold it. You know, they weren't in the, you could not tell whether they hated these job or loved this job. It appeared as if they were totally into the characters. You know, we've talked a lot about this with uh, the Adventures of Superman where, uh, you know, Jack Larson and, by extension, George Reeves, right. when he was alive, were very... Uh, everybody knew how much they hated those roles. Right. But, you know what? They're paid to do a job. There's a level of professional pride that goes with that. Your name is your name is out there, is on it. Exactly. You want You want to do as best as you can with it. And yeah, these I think there's guys worse, elevated yeah. the material. Absolutely. And I think there's nothing worse than watching something, a TV show, a movie, anything that's live action, and you see the actor acting. You know, you can tell. I see that periodically in some of the dramas and stuff I watch on TV nowadays. And I hate to say it, in a couple of the Flash episodes recently, uh, the actress playing Iris West. I forget her real name. Candace Patton. There you go. I just want to say, you know, sweetie, you're trying way too hard here. Back up. Just back off. Yeah, I have have not liked her this season. The new point, the military is just as uh, incompetent as the police force. Of course. Doing no background check on a man named P.N. Gwynn. Really? So there's that. And Robin is quite deductive in, in this movie. Yes. Although Adam West must have been paid by the word. Because <laughs> his dialogue is very wordy. <laughs> but it is it is just pure Adam West, too. Right. He is definitely speechifying throughout this movie. Mm. Another fam- another famous sequence that I love. This is the one that I, that I remembered even more of... Uh, then the exploding shark is after the kidnapping. After Bruce escapes, he comes back, and we find the bomb. Oh yeah, the bomb. <laughs> because yeah. this is one of those scenes that probably went on too long. But yeah, I love, running, but, I, but I love it just the same. 
Yeah, me too. Me too. It is too long. Uh, we get the joke. But part of it is sometimes, and this is old TV, old vaudeville type comedy, is once you've got the bit, double down, double down, double, go really over the top. And they did that with this joke with you, you know, all the way where he just cannot find anywhere. Even running into the same. Right, the same little marching band. Marching band and the nuns over and over and over again. Uh, That's okay. And I think they may have even shot it, not planning to do it this way. Maybe they shot three or four or five different ways he meets up with the band. Right. And then they just decided to use them all. And the thing is, I think you always hear the band before you see them. Right, always. Because yeah. you start hearing the music, up oh, there, the band again. Yep, Salvation Army. And then he wouldn't he wouldn't throw the bomb uh, by down by the ducks. Right, right. And so it, the famous it's line. Some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. You just can't get rid of a bomb. And what about the other scene near this scene, the, the scene where he's as Bruce Wayne and fighting all those guys? He's fighting them all. Yeah. Well, their whole, their whole plan was to get Batman. They had right. Batman. They had Batman. Yeah. And, and they, they didn't even know it. They didn't even know it. He managed to uh, right. launch somebody into the into the exploding octopus. Right. Should should Adam or Batman, should Batman have figured out earlier that uh, Miss Kitka was Catwoman? Did he have to see Catwoman without the mask to know that it was Miss Kitka? Not having, well, you know, this is the 60s. There's no such thing as continuity in TV at this time. Right, right. But it's weird to me as a modern reader of Batman and that Batman doesn't know who Catwoman is. Right. Because I always... But he's being played by a different actor, so maybe he was full. I got the feeling in the TV show, particularly when it was uh, um, uh, Julie Newmar, that he knew her. Right. That he knew whether she had the mask on or not. Uh, and in fact, I think there was a couple of scenes there was in no... the show where she didn't even have the mask on, and the police were taking her away at the end of the show. Right. If he's seen her without his ma- without her mask on. Right. This... But in this movie, they're acting as if he had never seen her without the mask. That he didn't know who Catwoman was. Right. Because, you know, because I'm sitting there thinking when I was watching this. I mean, I really didn't remember the fine details because I hadn't seen this in years. Right. As they're going on their little date about town. Like, does he know that she's Catwoman? Right. And I'm thinking maybe he does and he's playing along. But then at the ending, it shows that he doesn't know. He doesn't know. Yeah. I thought so, too, In the in the in that they were kind of giving us the impression that he knew but then when he was getting there so close to her and trying to kiss and the whole you know sexual tension thing i'm thinking he hasn't got a clue that that's Catwoman. no he doesn't know her at all even though he probably should he should and he does have this little sexual tension thing with Catwoman. right he should have known he should have known but i don't know he was his mind was fogged by the cloud of love (laughs) <laughs> and of course, uh, she's pretending to be Russian. Yes, and very uh, funny. Now I don't know if on the show they never say her name in the show, right? No, not that I remember. If you no. remember the, when she shows up at the, at the bar going into the headquarters, one of the uh, henchmen calls her Catwoman, and she slaps him, right, for using her real name, right, which and, she should, right. She was born with that name, right? Right, <laughs> Catwoman, right. Selena, Selena. Does he call her Selena Kyle in the TV show? I don't. I don't think so. I don't know. Wow. I'm not sure. I knew who who Catwoman was until uh, Batman Returns. 
I didn't really. Yeah, think. I might have to. I'm gonna have to. Wow, that's interesting. Cause I didn't now really start I, reading comics religiously until after the, until the early '90s. Yeah, but I think in the '60s show, I think in the Batman show, there they knew her name as Selena. I think he knew her in the TV show. I'll have to double check that. Maybe one of your listeners will write in and let us know. Yeah, maybe whether whether Batman '66 knew. Did they ever mention Selena Kyle's name in the Batman TV show? Because Miss Kitka is not her name. No, That's not that her is not her name. name. That's made up, and the whole Russian thing is totally made up for this plot. Right. So, anyway, yeah, okay. Interesting. There's another question. Boy, we should have done our homework. Well, these <laughs> questions aren't well. I'm not going to watch. I'm not going to watch. Uh, I didn't have time to watch 104 episodes of Batman. Yeah, I mean, I don't mean either. Or however many episodes there are. And I don't have them, so I'd have to. Yeah, they're yeah. too. They're really there. They can be hard to find. Yeah, they're kind of expensive. That set. Yeah, it is. So they set. they dehydrate yeah. all. They go up eventually toward the end. They get up there and dehydrate all the uh, the UN, for lack of a better term. The right. United Underworld is basically the UN. Right. These guys are so busy arguing that they don't even recognize these people. Notice these people coming into the room. Yes, and and they get shrunk, and when they're rehydrated, they're still arguing as if they nothing happened in the whole. In between right. time. One of them actually is facing toward the door. Right. He actually sees them coming in. And nothing. Right. They're all. <laughs> yeah. And all these guys are in one room with no aides around. Okay. Yeah, I'm sure. Why not, right? Why not? And why do they all become different colors? Like, uh, one's like a red powder. The other one's purple. Yeah, that's a good question, too. Catwoman delivers a little bit of foreshadowing when she says, nobody sneeze. <laughs> Which is a good line. It is. Now, what happens if they miss a couple of grains? I mean, you got to figure those are fabric chairs. Yes. It'd be hard to get everybody, get every single grain of sand. Oh, you can't. The, the, you can't. It's impossible. What, what yeah. if one grain of sand is somebody's liver or something? Well, that's it. That's it. Their nose was left on the table. Yeah, it could have been anything. But that's, you know, when you do that kind of a, they, you know, you can't think it too far. Through. No. It, it's a silver age. Right. Should have been some sort of a suction device. As soon as you dehydrate them, it sucks it in. Right, that 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 it uh, sucked them right in because because they were in there with little uh, little hand brooms and dustpans. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But it is funny to watch Batman, you know, being you know pull little stuff out as if it he had a wisp broom and stuff in his bat or utility belt. Right, it's very funny. All right, so let's talk about the attack on the submarine toward the end a little bit. All right. Bat Robin's got that little uh, toy gun there that they that they played with. Mm-hmm. And how many times did that file of test tubes <laughs> wobble on the edge of that desk? I, know. I, know. I, know. I just think it must have been funny. I can see the director wanting that shot, but in how do they keep that thing stable and what is all? I'll bet there's all kinds of tricks they had to play to do those shots. I could be wrong, but I think a couple times Cesar Romero kept it from falling. Yeah, I think he was back there by it. By it oh, during okay. that scene. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me. Even to the last scene where Batman and Robin pick it up, the vials. Batman goes over and slams his fist down next to him while he grabs it. Right. It's very funny. It's very. It's like they're pretty fragile, and you guys aren't. You're treating them as if they're fragile, but you're not holding them as they're. Right. It's very funny. Your attitude says one thing, but your physicalness says another. But uh, I liked the submarine scene. I thought it was very funny. Again, and, the, you know, the idea of how Robin and Batman in the bat boat above them finding the sub, dropping the depth charges. Right. 
uh, I guess at that point they didn't know that the the uh, you know the little test tubes were just you no know, they didn't know they were unsecured on a counter yeah because every time you're blowing that sh- you know and depth charge I don't know that was kind of a risky thing to do anyway because what if one of the depth charges actually hit the ship you know yeah it was a pretty risky way I think to uh, and, and and it seemed like the penguin always knew what he must have checked out all of Batman's equipment. Yeah. Because he always Penguin. knew what Batman was using. Uh, he yeah. must be using a bat transistor. <laughs> yeah, how do you know right. that? Right. Yeah, Penguin was had, had the brains in this one, which uh, it was kind of weird because they they did mix that around periodically. It was almost like, you know, the Penguin had a plan, but it wasn't really his plan. It was, but it was Penguin's main right. plan. I tried to figure out whose plan this, who was the brain of this operation. Yeah, I think it was the Penguin's plan. Right, but the kidnap plot was Riddler's was Riddler's, but it was, yeah, it was an overall plan of the Penguin, and then elements of it were done by the other three. Joker didn't really uh, contribute a whole lot. No, his was the sub thing and the joke. He jumped his... through the, the jokes. He, did a, he deployed a joy buzzer. Yeah. He uh, jumped up and down when he was asked to fire torpedoes, but <laughs> there were no real... There was no real Joker I liked him, though. I, thought, I liked Caesar in this one. I thought he was a good Joker in this, though. Because it was so much fun. I mean, it was so ridiculous. I don't even think he ever shared a scene with Batman. I don't think any. Yeah, exactly. Which ones did? Who did? Well, what about the the, the fight on the well? Yeah, but that was when it was as Bruce Wayne. No, on on the submarine deck. I believe Batman did fight Penguin. Penguin. Who fought the Robin Riddler? was with Riddler up on the turret thing. Right. I don't know. I don't know. I'm drawing a blank now. It's weird. With Penguin and I mean. Uh, Cesar Romero and Adam West never in any scene together. Interesting. Well, they, I, maybe 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 they fought on top of the submarine, but there were no Batman and Joker. There were no do- dialogue between the two of them. Yeah, and but it was many, funny. And how many people just dove off the submarine? <laughs> like at some point, I think Bur- Burgess Meredith got hit, and just I don't think it was Burgess Meredith, but no, his stuntman was just his, jumped. They jumped off the off the submarine. So yeah. Uh, I did like the scene inside the submarine towards the end when, when you, because you just reminded me of it when Riddler said, prepare torpedo number two. Yeah. And, torpedoes, and the, torpedoes, torpedoes. And the Joker acts like a, a six-year-old getting all giddy, ready to push the buttons. Yeah. And all he really did was pick up a microphone and go, fire torpedoes. No, he had a button. Oh, yeah, he pushed he the button. He told him to get the torpedoes ready, but he pushed the, but the Joker he pushed, pushed the, the buttons. Button. Yeah, he pushed the buttons. It was so funny. I love that scene. I just like these three guys together. Oh, They're yeah. just so so good, and it's just so, you know, it's you iconic. Really a, you didn't really get a chance to have them together in the show. No, no. And uh, uh, that they were able to keep the character attitudes going. And there were several times where I loved Frank Gorshin when he was just so serious, where he would just kind of back away and, you know, he was just contemplative all over there, right. just kind of thinking and um, but yeah, I loved it. I just thought it was just terrific. I, I love this scene, and I'm not sure where those bat boat scenes were filmed. I guess a Hollywood, I guess L.A. You got ocean there. You got the so. ocean there. Yeah, I guess they just took it out somewhere, but I didn't look that stuff up. And so, like I mentioned, the uh, the test tubes with the uh, dehydrated uh, <laughs> politicians survived all that, all of that. But they couldn't survive this uh, old English dude who's looking for his tea. <laughs> well, it makes sense though. That then, that's almost a Monty Python bit there. And then of course he sneezes. Of course. And the dust goes all over the place. Right. But the Batcave has something that will correct all of this. 
Where are the world's leading scientists helping with this? Uh, you don't need them. You got Batman and the Batcave and the Batcomputer. Right. And Robin to read the card punch outs. And to contemplate tinkering with their uh, their brains. DNA, right. Well, well why not? Well, the machine didn't do a very good job of sorting out the uh, sorting out the dust because something got mixed up. Now I'm not sure what happened. They just were they still themselves? Did they speak in different languages? I don't remember. I don't know. I think they were. Well, I think it's never really explained. They're all speaking in languages they shouldn't be speaking in. But yeah, but like, is the Russian guy really the American? No, yeah, let's hope. Well, nowadays, yeah. <laughs> so, were, were the minds mixed, or did they, they learn new languages? Not explained. Maybe, maybe they each got a little bit of each other. Maybe, and that's what they're saying. It's a true united, uh, whatever they are, federation of planets. No. It, it didn't help much. They were still arguing, of course, and because they're politicians after all. Did you notice those, those those long devices that were on the chairs that had the, the hold, that were holding the test tubes? Oh yes. Where yes. did they go when the people came back? Yeah, that was a good question. I was thinking that too. Oh, their seat. Somebody cleaned up the set. Well, the, yeah. the device is still on the table. But the tubes aren't. But the tubes are gone. I was like, oh. Yeah, the tubes are gone and the hoses aren't, you know. Yeah, wasn't there multiple hoses? Yeah, like where did all that go? Yeah. Are they sitting on them? I don't know. I hope not. Ugh. Came part of their DNA. Probably. <laughs> you know, they're all going for surgery after this. See the proctologist yeah. to get those tubes. <laughs> they got to go somewhere. Man. And the, I did love the fact, though, that, and it's so typical, and this was this was kind of a, Almost a Lone Ranger, Zorro, great classic superhero bit at the very end. They're all arguing. There's people standing around everywhere. And Batman says, let's leave inconspicuously by the window. Right, right. Because nobody's going right. to – and, and nobody notices. Nobody's going to notice us leave. And uh, I, I did like that because most of the time the way that's done is one of the other characters will say, well, Batman, I'm glad every – Wait, where did Batman go? Right. You know, that's usually how how the this time they actually let us in on the uh Batman telling Robin, "Okay, it's time for us to sneak out now." Without his uh doohickey. <laughs> he just uh, left that for uh for the police. Yeah, it's Commissioner Gordon will take it home and mount it on his wall or something. Yeah. No, he has Batman has people munchkins who come back and clean up crime scenes and bring all uh, necessary tech uh, and drop it off for him so he can take it back to the Batcave somewhere. It's, it's, just, it's probably just another division of the of the employment. These are the same. Right. Guys, these are the same as the guys who tend to the Batcopter. Exactly. He has a special little crew that takes care of all of his tech and all of his stuff. So as soon as this little scene ended. Those little guys in their little orange suits with bat symbols on them, they came running in and they cleaned up the brought, place. Brought everything home. And make sure if there's any tech, super advanced tech, that just gets, you know, back to Batman. Uh, probably a secret room at Wayne Tower somewhere, which they never really – he didn't have a Wayne Tower in the TV show. No, I don't even think he, there was a Wayne Enterprises at all. No, probably not Wayne Enterprises. He was just Wait a minute. Pl- Wait a minute. Wait a minute. There was a Wayne Foundation. They had the Wayne Foundation. Wayne Foundation. So he had his charity. Yeah. So he funneled a lot of money through there. Right. So, uh, but yeah, but no Wayne, no Wayne Enterprise and Wayne Towers and all that stuff yet. So, uh, but what is your overall? What are your overall on this movie? What do you think overall on this? I I like the I like this movie. You know, I, I like it for what it is. 
Right. You know, it's one of those. Am I looking for a uh, masterpiece Batman film? This is not that. No, it's not. This that. is a very specific Batman of its time. Exactly. And if you look at it as a product, and this is something I think a lot of people nowadays have trouble with. Mm. Looking back at the older material. Right. Through the prism of when it was made. Exactly. When this was made, this was what Batman was. Right. And there was no pretense. Nobody is saying this is what Batman would be if he was alive in real world America today. Right. Nobody was saying that. They were telling you exactly what this is. This is a campy, fun version of a comic book superhero. And it's exactly what it was. This Batman is the Caped Crusader. Yes. Batman seems to be much more malleable than a character like Superman. Yes. You would not call the Tim Burton or the Nolan Batman the Caped Crusader. No, no. Those are very much Dark Knights. Though they're the Dark Knight, exactly, exactly. Um, this is this is not that. This is the Cape Crusader and the dynamic duo, right? I mean, and I think one of the things that you know, the beauty of Batman, the character itself, is that it it can there can be many different versions of it. You know, you could even do, and I think you could even make a a lighter. Uh, uh, you couldn't go this camp no. nowadays, but you could do. A, a lighter version of Batman today. You don't have, Batman doesn't have to be the grumpy old Dark Knight growler. Right. I found it amusing that uh, after Batman v Superman came out, yeah. all the Batman memes I saw were, were of Adam West. <laughs> like, really, yeah. did we hate this that much? Did this go <laughs> too right. far that much that we're going all the way back to this? All the way back. To, right. make, to make ourselves feel better? <laughs> yeah. Well, to me, Ben Affleck's Batman... Uh, is not any live action Batman I've ever seen. To me, he's he's the video game Batman. He is my fee is definitely the Arkham Knight Batman. He's the Arkham Knight Batman. He's the video game Batman. The way he fights, the way he jumps, moves, talks. He's you know his ears are different, but that's the that's the video game Batman that Affleck is doing. Well, uh, I you know. there's there's been um, it seems like a modern turn toward making the ears shorter again. Yeah. I think the ears are too short now. Mm-hmm. I think they're a little too short, too. I think my favorite movie Batman costume is probably mm-hmm. the black one that Val Kilmer wore in Batman Forever. Yeah, that's a really good costume. That's, that's, a really that's probably costume my too. favorite movie, yeah. based on the way it looks, not on functionality. Yeah. Right, right. You know, right. The, the ears were maybe about six inches. Yeah. You know, that yeah. just seemed to be the perfect size for a Batman costume. Yeah, I need to take another look at that because I think I I kind of like that one too. But and um, I'm, I admit to being partial to the black suited Batman, mm-hmm. not out of any kind of aesthetic, but right for what Batman is. You just like the black suit on. That him. seems to work. That right. would work. Right. Like right. I don't think Batman's costume ever was intended to have blue in it. <laughs> but they couldn't yeah. do black back then. Well, they couldn't do black. It's the same reason. Right. His suit was blue for the same reason Superman's hair was blue. Right. Blue highlights on black made you think it's black hair with, you know, the light shining off of it. Right. That's all the blue was supposed to be originally in Batman's cape and cowl. It wasn't that he had a blue cape and cowl. That eventually came to be blue and gray as his costume. Right, and but, it became accepted as being blue and intended right. to be blue and gray, and this is what this show used. Right. But right. I believe the costume, and I have no basis for right. really what I'm about to say is, but right. the suit was probably meant to be 
more like what we saw in the later seasons of the animated series, the gray and the black. The gray and the black. I agree. Which I think so too. Makes sense because a, a, a being that come a character that comes out of the shadows right. is not going to have bright blue in his costume. Exactly. I thought Tim Burton's costume was a good one. I mean, uh, Michael Keaton's. I liked his except for the fact that you couldn't turn your head. And it was obvious he couldn't turn his head. Especially in that in that scene in the uh, going up the uh, the bell tower. Yeah, exactly. He arched exactly. his back every time he had to look up. Every time. And they they should have figured out how to do that for then. If they had figured out his cowl situation, that would have been a great costume. The studio war on Batman Returns was a little bit better. A little bit better. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, he could had a little more mobility in his head. But uh, but that first suit in that first movie and some of those long away shots when he's got the cape open and he's just floating down or yeah. the first appearance. Man, those are some really good Batman scenes. I haven't watched that movie in years. I got to watch that. I got to watch it. Yeah, I, I happened to watch it again this past summer. I went through uh, a series of firsts. So I counted that. Uh, I watched this, the 66. I watched the Tim Burton and I watched uh, Superman, the movie. Uh, the original theater version. All right, so what else have we got here on the Batman 66 I don't movie think we've got anything else on Before I get really sidetracked. <laughs> I don't think I've got it. I mean, there, there were some other gags that we really didn't mention, like when the helicopter crashes and they land on a, on a thing of... Uh, uh, mattresses. Big, big mattress. Yeah, that would have happened. <laughs> yeah. You know, things like that were pretty uh, indicative of the TV show. Yeah, but you see stuff like that is meant for the joke, meant for right. the laugh. And, you know, if you're the kind of person that just gets all angry at that, then why are you watching this movie anyway? Right. Like I said, you know, you know, you asked me my overall yeah. opinion on this film, and it is, you have to watch this movie in, and recognize when it was made and exactly. what Batman was at that time. Exactly. You do that in the same attitude as I tell to some of my listeners. If you're going to go back, which I encourage you to do, if you're going to go back and read Jimmy Olsen or Lois Lane comic books, don't go back reading those expecting to get Lois Lane, you know, reporter going after the story all the time. Don't no. expect to get, you know, you're, you're reading sitcoms of the day. That's what they were. And if you take that attitude, you'll find them very enjoyable reads and fun stuff there. If you try to take it with modern attitudes as, my Lois Lane wouldn't do that. Well, no, modern Lois Lane wouldn't do that. Okay? But, same for this movie. No, a modern movie would not do this and get away with this. But this was done in 1966, and it was perfect timing for this movie. And it was fun. It was a great watch in the theater. The theater, when you came out of this, you were laughing. Uh, we had a good time. Me and my buds went to see it. A couple of friends of mine went to see it in the theater. And uh, it, was a, it was a hoot. We had a great time. It was a great afternoon in the movie theater. Popcorn and uh, you're seeing Batman and some fun music and great characters. Big screen, full of color. You know, it was a, it was a treat. It was a lot of fun. Um, you know, it was not Christopher Reeve in the movie. It was not what we have come to get now. Right. But, um, but there's room for this. Definitely is. Yeah. And it's a fun watch. If there's uh, room for I, that 1949 serial, there's room for this. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that 49 serial has a really soft spot in my heart, uh, because of when I got to see that for the first time as a little kid on a snowy 
winter afternoon in the movie theater right. uh, to watch that all those serials, you know, in one day, you know, and you watch those and you think, OK, yeah, they're really bad. But but no, they're not. They're not really bad. They're bad, but they're not. They're of their time. They're of their time. And if you can put yourself in the in the mindset of an eight, nine, ten year old kid on a Saturday morning uh, going to the theater and watching this and with anticipation and then Bruce Wayne falling or Dick Grayson falling off a building and you had to wait a whole week to find out how he was saved. No, that it was a different time. It was a whole different attitude. And and uh, uh, I'm sorry if some of you can't do that. That's too bad that you, you know, can't see the happiness and the joy in some of these things. But I love this movie. I think it's a fun, fun movie. I mean, this again, only one. It's not the kind of it's not the kind of thing where I can watch it, you know, once a month or, right or, or regularly. But periodically, every now and then, you pop this sucker in and and have a good time and have a good time. You know, I've come to a point with a lot of these movies as I as I get older. Yeah, and I take the, and I take the kid. And I, like I said, I took, I took Corey to Justice League. Even if the movie is not something that I particularly care for, right? I'm enjoying their enjoyment. Right, right. Like, I'm one of the few people who really did not like the, the new Spider-Man movie. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. But I took it. What was that called? Homecoming? Homecoming. But Haley yeah, wanted to go because Spider-Man was in it. Okay. So she she probably loved it. She loved it. She loved, she seems to love Spider-Man. Okay. And she, and she loved it. So I loved it for that reason. Right. I mean, the only reason I got her in, I got her to go to see Civil War was because I told her Spider-Man was in it. For the first <laughs> half of the movie. Where's Spider-Man? Oh. Where's Spider-Man? Where's Spider-Man? Right. And then as soon as Spider-Man was done, she went to sleep. Oh. Well, he had a good entrance, though, in that movie. He did. But, you know, as soon as, he, as soon as he was gone, he went to sleep. You know? Right. She went to sleep. She was she done. Was, yeah. She saw, what she, she saw what she came for. How did she find Spider-Man? What do you mean? How did she? Well. I mean, where did she come in? Were you, you're a Spider-Man reader? No, do you, but. Do you have the cartoons? I have I have the Raimi films okay. on, on DVD and. And Corey, Corey, when we lived with us, would watch them. All right, so that's how she so she, she got into. She's a, she's aware of of she's aware of most of these characters. Like like even when she was younger, she would see me playing the Arkham Knight video game. She we'd go into GameStop. She'd look up at the uh, ceiling, see the Bat logo hanging. Oh, Batman! Oh, uh, right, so right. She has no choice. She's aware of these things because of me. We did it. We did it. We did it. Did we, we do did it. it? Did we do it? Who's who? The success, the success. We've done it. We've done it. We did Batman the movie from 1966. Adam West, Burt Ward, Alan Napier, Neil Hamilton. Uh, and Stafford you thought this would be a Superman show, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tricked again. Curse you, Mike Zumo. Yes, Mike but it, Zumo. it does. It does have a Superman connection with our actor uh, Milton. Oh, yeah, right. We did have a connection because it all comes back to Superman. It does. Hey, that's not our show. No, that's not. I, I have to pay Michael Bailey about ten bucks now. I think. <laughs> oh, great. So, where can uh, where can the good people find find you? They may have forgotten since the last time you were on the show. Since the last time, because it was way back in the summer of 2017, and we're in 2018 now. We are. Wow. I'm at the same spot. I'm over at the Superman Forever Radio Podcast at SupermanForever.com. Coming up, and maybe. I don't know. I'm hoping to get it out by the first of next week. So it might be out before you get this out. If not, it'll be out soon after this. It'll be close to this at Superman Forever Radio. I'm starting a new segment, Superboy Forever, the adventures of Superman when he was a boy. 
So I'll probably at least at first not be talking about the current Jonathan Kent, who is has the moniker Superboy, or Connor Kent, or the Clone Boy Kent. I won't be that doesn't doing mean we don't, that. Doesn't mean we don't like these characters. Yes, we love those characters, and and the and the Superboy from the '90s and the death and return of Superman. When you're trying to figure out, oh, is that the real Superman, the boy? No, I'm not going to talk about him, even though I did like parts of him, especially the great Tom Grummet artwork. <laughs> Uh, but f- at least for the first, most of the first part of, of the Superboy Forever segments on Superman will be about the adventures of Superman when he was a boy and all that that meant and what it meant to the Superman comics of the time and to the readers uh, and how hard or easy it was to get him. Jerry Siegel actually pitched Superboy to DC, to DC Comics for the first time in November, December of 1938. So less than a year after Superman had pu- been published for the first time, Action One, in the very same calendar year, they pitched Superboy. And it was not until 1944, five full five and a half years later, that he actually made his first appearance. And if you'd like to know why and all the details about why it took so long, how's that for a lead in? Superman Forever Radio, uh, episode 116, I think it will be the number. I don't know the numbers anymore, but that's where you can find me. So the short answer, (laughs) Superman Forever Radio uh, at supermanforever.com. Yay. And you can also find me right here. The the regular show is on hiatus at at the moment as I prepare for my upcoming run of uh, Super Friends uh, episodes. Starting with the 1973 season and covering all the different incarnations of that show. I can't do that sound effect. Coming coming up soon is going to drop on the 6th, which is either in a few days or a few days ago, depending on when this episode <laughs> comes out. I will be releasing an episode regarding Superman's appearance on the Brady Kids cartoon in 1972 which was also filmed by Filmation and was the first animated Superman not voiced by Bud Collier. Mm. Well. I, I don't know who the hell voiced it. But I bet when you do the show, we'll know. No, we won't. I couldn't figure out who it was. Really? They didn't give credit for that guy? Well, it's hard to find credit from that guy. Wow. IMDb didn't have oh, it. Okay. Interesting. Maybe one of your listeners will know. Maybe the guy who actually did the voice will write in and say, hey, yeah, maybe. Yeah, hey, I did it. I did the if voice he, for Superman. If, he, if he's still alive. Yeah. You know, you don't have to be uh, 32 to voice Superman as Bud Collier. Probably. That's true. But Bud Collier, Bud Collier actually died shortly after the uh, the end of the Superman series. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like Bud Collier. He's a funny guy. Good guy. Good human. Also beat the clock for, if anybody doesn't know, he did a an afternoon uh, game show in the 50s and 60s called Beat the Clock. And uh, I used to love to watch that show because I knew at a certain point that that was the guy that was doing the voice of the Fleischer Superman and the radio Superman. And I knew that at a point when I was watching him on TV. So as a little kid watching Bud Collier right there on my TV in the afternoon, I thought, wow, that's really cool. That that was just so cool, just to know that that uh, he played Superman on the radio and in the Fleischer cartoons. This was before uh, the animated stuff he did after that. So you can also uh, find the uh, send me email at manascreen at gmail dot com. You can join the conversation over the Facebook group. Just put Manascreen Podcast in your search feed, and the show should come up. You can also find the show on Twitter at Manascreencast. So 
next time, I'm not going to tell you what next time is, because, as you know, with Mana Screen Extra, next time is always kind of fluid. So, until then, you can uh, check Facebook or Twitter to find out what the next Mana Screen Extra would be uh, when uh, I decide what it's going to be. How's that for Christmas? <laughs> That's great. Uh, so, I can't uh, wait. I'm all tingly with excitement. It's such a secret, I haven't even told myself what it's going to be yet. See? Well, that's probably the best way, because you can't keep a secret. As soon as you know something, you're going to tell everybody. So, until then, folks, for Bob Fisher, this is Mike Zumo saying, have a good one. The Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zumo, and all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zumo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at twotruefreaks.com to shop there. If you do, the Two True Freaks get a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra. So you can shop as usual and help out the two true freaks at the same time. Email to this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com. And you can also leave the show review on iTunes. That will help others find the show. Thank you for listening to the Man of Screen Podcast.